You're listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the Holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find I'm full of surprises. It's not over yet. No. There is another. Hey there, Star Wars fans. You're listening to episode 32 of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all things related to Star Wars Episode 7, news, rumors, and uh, all the other new and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe, like Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Battlefront, and all that cool stuff. Today in particular, we're going to be talking a lot of Star Wars The Clone Wars, as this is our first episode since the release of the Clone Wars series, including the Season 6 Lost Missions on Netflix, and we are super excited to uh, give our thoughts on that today, as well as review some Episode 7 rumors and small things like that. But uh, as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim? Hey, Kyle. Doing good. Yeah, we've been waiting a long time for this episode to talk about (laughs) these Clone Wars Lost Missions episodes, and now we're finally able to. It's both exciting and a little sad. Sad because... This is the last batch of episodes of Clone Wars that we got to see and we're going to be talking about. But at the same time, it was exciting because those episodes were awesome and they ended the series with a bang. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, we're we're going to try to cover all these episodes in one podcast here and uh, kind of just break it down by story arc. Uh, so we'll talk about, you know, the Order 66 arc and then the Clovis arc and then the two Jar Jar episodes and then uh, finish off with the Yoda arc. Um, in the event that we end up just rambling on and on and on and uh, end up going really long, I might cut this off at some point and have us finish up in another episode. But we'll kind of see how it goes. We're going to try to uh, fly through these uh, few rumors and things that we have to cover here first and uh, then try to keep it to a somewhat reasonable time and get all these uh, Clone Wars episodes covered. But uh, first of all, um, we'll start with uh, some episode seven casting rumors that came out, uh, over the past week or so. And, uh, the first one comes from Variety and they're talking about, uh, some of the actors who are, um, sort of the front runners, I guess, for the lead role in episode seven, which we still don't know exactly what that role is, but they're saying that it sounds like it's a, uh, a Jedi apprentice and not one of the Skywalker or Solo kids, um, and that those characters would possibly be in like more supporting roles, and that this main character would be just like a new character who is um, supposedly maybe Luke Skywalker's Jedi apprentice. I don't know, but uh, they're saying that five actors are in the running for the part. There's Jesse Plemons, who we've talked about before as being a possible contender for a lead role, as well as uh, John Boyega, who was in the movie Attack the Block, uh, Ed Spelliers. Uh, from Downton Abbey, and then uh, two more actors named Matthew James Thomas and Ray Fisher, who are theater actors. Um, So uh, according to Variety, which is a a pretty reputable source, it sounds like these guys are sort of the top five candidates. Um, And they are saying that uh, one of the possible reasons why they still haven't made a choice yet is they're trying to decide um, what ethnicity they want the main character to be, 
Um, John Boyega is African-American. I think all the rest of the actors are white, but I could be wrong. I don't know who those two theater actors are. So um, it's, you know, part of that is the studio kind of deciding uh, what demographic they want to go with there. But um, I don't know. I don't really know any of these guys real well as actors, but, you know, I guess it is kind of exciting to know that um, they're sort of narrowing down their choices and close to casting a lead role, which ho- means that hopefully we're close to getting some official casting news. Um, again, none of this is official yet, so as always, take it with a grain of salt. We pretty much put that disclaimer on everything, but um, yeah, it's not like this is something huge to jump on board with anyways, because it's still, you know, one of these five guys could be the main actor. It's not like we have confirmation on one of them, so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Pretty much what I took from this is more actors being rumored for the parts that I never heard of or seen in any <laughs> other uh, of their projects. But it just leads to maybe more of the rumors of Jesse Plemons really being the front runner out of this group since he was mentioned before. But again, I'm still holding out hope that, like I said before, March is going to be the month we get the casting announcement. So we got a few weeks left. So maybe this we're slowly building toward it before the month's over. But we'll find out soon. Yeah, we still got two more weeks of March left, so we'll see if uh, Tim's prediction comes true. (laughs) Come on, Lucasfilm, don't let me down. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so, you know, again, there's five possibilities there that uh, Variety has narrowed it down to. We also have another uh, Latino review uh, casting rumor that also got reported by a bunch of other sites who also, I guess, were citing their own sources. So um, maybe this wasn't just Latino review uh, kind of breaking this or thinking that, you know, they were the only ones who knew about it or something. But um, there's also a rumor going around that uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who just won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for 12 Years a Slave, that she's up for a role in the film and that she might be a Sith Lord or a Sith Apprentice or Dark Jedi villain character, something like that. So that could be pretty interesting to see, too. Um, and, uh, you know, it is kind of nice that, I mean, if this turns out to be true, if she ends up in the movie, it kind of goes along with, um, them casting, you know, sort of relatively unknown actors. I mean, obviously she's more well-known now that she's won an Oscar, but it's still, she's still not one of those people that like, oh yeah, you've seen her in everything. So, um, she's kind of like a young rising star. So to see her in Star Wars would be pretty cool. Yeah. And I think too, what also is cool about this is how she's rumored to be a part for a villain or a Sith. And I know there's been rumors about maybe the main character for the heroes is going to be female, but I think it'd be cool to have a female villain for a Star Wars movie. That's something that we really haven't seen at all in the six previous movies, but we've seen characters in the Clone Wars like Ventress be really interesting characters. So to have one in the actual theatrical movie would be pretty cool. So kind of hoping that ends up being true. Yeah, that definitely something different. Yeah, that would definitely be pretty cool to see. Although I do have to admit, one thing that popped into my head when I saw this, um, I remembered that rumor from a while back where they were talking about uh, the possibility of like Obi-Wan having a daughter or granddaughter or something. Yeah. And they were saying they might be looking for like a black actress to play the part. And I'm like, uh, wait a second here. But, you know, obviously this doesn't mean that she has to have any connection to Obi-Wan Kenobi, so... Um, you know, I'm not still not putting a whole lot of stock in that uh, particular rumor at this point. Same here. And plus, I know Lucasfilm or even Lucas himself have been trying to get like a female villain in one of the movies for a while, even as far back like episode one and two. He had all those concept drawings of Sith uh, female characters who end up being the design for Mother Talzin in the Clone Wars. So 
maybe episode seven will be the time it actually works. <laughs> yeah, well, and even Ventress too was uh, yeah, based on concept art for a female Sith in uh, Attack of the Clones. So, um, yeah, that I think would be a pretty cool change of pace to see something new like that. I mean, I'm hoping we see a lot of new stuff in episode seven. Yeah, um, and I'm definitely. sure I'm sure there will be a lot of stuff based on original concept art or you know some old unused ideas that maybe get brought around full circle because it seems like they're doing that a lot nowadays. Um, there's a lot of stuff in Clone Wars and a lot of stuff coming up in Rebels that is based on you know old Ralph McQuarrie concept art or old you know story ideas from George Lucas that never got used and now they finally have a chance to bring it to light. So to see some more of that stuff. Um, you know, like female Sith Lords and anything else like that, to see some of that pop up in Episode Seven and become part of the Star Wars movie universe would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's just Star Wars MO in general, using a previously unused design to story ideas later on. I mean, it's been like that forever, ever since A New Hope. So, yeah, I think that that tradition will continue in Episode Seven. Yeah, and yeah, beyond, which is <laughs> which is just one of the many exciting things about it. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, those are pretty much just the two Episode 7 movie rumors. And then we've got uh, one more rumor. And, uh, I, you know, we mentioned this maybe a few months ago or something where there was this uh, Lucasfilm Disney sort of licensing brochure thing at, like, a marketing convention that, um, you know, a picture of this appeared online and it mentioned... Um, you know, it kind of just had like their their Star Wars release schedule, and it said some things about, um, you know, like for example, it's got the classic Lego mobile games release for spring summer twenty fourteen. It's got uh, Darth Vader TV, uh, Darth Vader themed TV specials listed, and we talked about that a while ago, like the possibility of a mini series or whether it's like the animated Lego shorts or this is actually like a live action series or something. Um, and this rumor just kind of adds to that a little bit. This is from CineLinks.com, and they're saying that some of their own, you know, anonymous sources within the industry that they can't name, blah, 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 are saying that uh, with all the Star Wars casting going on, that, uh, you know, with the casting and the auditions and casting calls and all that kind of stuff, it hasn't just been for Episode Seven, but that they're also um, holding auditions for some television projects, including specials and miniseries. So... Um, you know, just sort of adding fuel to the fire there as far as rumors go. But if this turns out to be true, it wouldn't really surprise me. I mean, there's not a whole lot to go on here. It's not like they're saying, ooh, this person is going to be the main character in a Star Wars TV series about this. It's like, you know, nothing real specific here. But it would not surprise me if, A, they're at least looking into the, to the possibility of doing some Star Wars TV series, especially with the way that a lot of these cinematic uh, franchises seem to be expanding to TV nowadays with the way that, um, you know, Marvel has their Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and DC has Arrow and The Flash and the Gotham series coming up. So um, it seems like a lot of these big entertainment franchises that aren't already TV shows, you know, the ones that are movies and comic books and stuff are looking to uh, sort of use TV series as a way to expand even more. And of course, with Star Wars, we've already got that with Clone Wars and Rebels. But, um, you know, if they wanted to look into a live action Star Wars TV series. I mean, heck, we know George Lucas was already developing one at some point. So yeah. <laughs> whether Disney is starting over with a different one or whether they're uh, picking up some of George's old ideas, I mean, it certainly is not a shock to anybody that this is at least an idea that's being thrown around. And, uh, you know, we still don't really have any details or specifics on it at this point. But, um, 
yeah, so take that as you will. If you know, this could be more, like I said, just sort of more fuel on the fire as far as rumors are, rumors are concerned, but not really anything specific here to latch on to. Exactly, and not really too um, surprising, really, because of, at least I think for me anyway, I assumed that eventually there was going to be some live-action Star Wars TV shows made. Probably not the ones Lucas had in mind, because the reason they were held up, because they were so expensive to make, and I don't think Disney's going to be... <laughs> the ones to probably put the money into those series. If it was too much for Lucasfilm, I don't think Disney's going to be doing that. So I have a feeling it's going to be something brand new, but I I did was, was a little surprised that it, if it is true that they're already casting for it now, because I would have suspected to be further down the line, like after episode seven came out. So if it is true and they are casting for a TV project right now, that is something that is surprising. So, well, who knows when it'll come out, but it's trying to tie into, like you mentioned that early uh, brochure of, um, some like marketing stuff, but I'm not too sure how much that uh, listing of the releases for certain things this year is intact now because it still had episode seven to come out in 2015 in the summer, and we know that's not the case anymore. So maybe some of the other stuff they had planned from that list is going to get pushed back as well. So, yeah, like you said, just more rumors to speculate about, and we'll see when and if it actually comes to fruition. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, um, as far as the actual casting goes, like, I would be maybe kind of surprised if they're casting for a TV series already. But at the same time, if it's just miniseries or specials, that could be something they're already working on now that we just don't even know. And it could just sort of pop up, you know, that nobody would have had coming on their radar. It could just like pop up at some point and be like, yeah, here we made this little TV miniseries and it's going to air sometime later this year. Um but also, like, when they're, especially with as big of a net as they're casting for Episode 7, I mean, with all yeah. these worldwide open casting calls and things, it certainly would not surprise me at all if they're keeping actors in mind for other parts and other projects, whether it be for TV series or specials or something like that. But also when they're planning to not just do Episode 7, but also 8 and 9 and a bunch of spinoff films, and those are all going to have... Um, you know, some new characters in there, I'm sure. So, yeah, I would not be shocked in the least. You know, it makes perfect sense to me that they would be, uh, you know, keeping certain actors in mind for other parts in future upcoming projects because obviously not everybody that auditions is going to get a part, but with as many people as they're looking for, I'm sure they're going to see plenty of good actors that they would like to work with who just, you know, aren't going to make the, the first cut for episode seven, but that they could use later for other stuff. Yeah, so for all you actors who didn't get the part, you still have some hope. <laughs> Maybe not <laughs> yeah. the movie, but for TV shows. There is another yeah. <laughs> movie. Lots of them, actually. <laughs> yeah, but uh, all right, so that's pretty much all the news and rumors uh, that we've got to go over this week, except for a couple other things that we'll talk about later uh, pertaining to the Clone Wars, and these are uh, just some interviews with Dave Filoni and things that came out after the series came out on Netflix. So we'll just kind of talk about those as we go and as they tie into uh, what we're talking about. So um, <laughs> bear with us here. This is just going to kind of be a, a long rant about what we liked and didn't like, although it's mostly going to be likes, I'm guessing, yeah. um, about <laughs> uh, Clone Wars Season 6. <laughs> Um, so let's start off with uh, with the Order 66 arc. Um, I mean, man, this I, – I, I will just say to start off, this was 
I think one of the most well-written story arcs of the entire series. Um, and one of the most, I don't necessarily want to say dark, but I think adult oriented is the best way I can put it. And not because obviously there wasn't any like graphic violence or nudity or anything like that in there, but like watching these episodes, I didn't feel like I was watching an animated cartoon. I felt like I was watching like a primetime drama series just because it had that sort of sense of, I don't know, urgency to it. And I mean, just some of the material too, where they're talking about, you know, brain scans and tumors and all these, you know, suspicious plots and everything going on. I mean, it just felt really mature and well-developed and I just thought it was a a fantastic storyline. Yeah, I mean, I said it time and time again (laughs) how much I was looking forward to this arc along with the Yoda one. And for this one, it did not disappoint for me at all. It lived up to what I was expecting and hoping it would be. Just giving us some answers to how Order 66 works and it did a great job of doing that. And yeah, you're saying how this is one of the best written arcs of the entire series and it was written by katie lucas i think it's pretty safe to say she's written some of the best story arcs of the entire series now yeah i would say probably her and uh, christian taylor and yeah it was kind of a different feel for her because she usually did like the night sister stuff the darth maul arcs and now she's tackling the clone stuff so she did a great job with it and i just finally glad we got an answer to how order 66 works and shed some new light how it was all planned and set and because i was always wondered even after i saw that revenge of the Sith for the first time was it something that was implanted in them from them when they were grown or was it just that they were just so, so loyal to the chancellor to the republic that whatever he said they had to follow the order and they knew about this ahead of time but yeah so it's good to know that it was finally revealed that it was something that was implanted in them and i just really liked how it plays out where because some of the questions i've heard people ask like how can they turn on the jedi so quickly like that when they been with them on the battlefield and develop relationships with them as friends and now it just makes sense they have no control over this it was implanted for them to follow carry out that order and they do it without <laughs> hesitation it was just part of their creation really so i'm f- really glad we got that and it sheds some new light too as far as how the kaminoans worked with count dooku in this and i don't know if you felt this way kyle but when you first saw the scene where Lama Su and the doctor, Kaminoan, was talking to Dooku for the first time in this arc. Did you get the impression that they knew he was a Sith and they were in on the whole plan? Because when I first saw it, I did. But on the second time, I realized, oh, they just think he's part of the Jedi Order and that this is just their weird way of doing things. But I don't know. What was your reaction when you first saw that scene with them talking to Count Dooku? Well, I didn't think they were fully in league with the Sith. I did think, you know, maybe these guys are a little bit more shady and suspicious than we thought before. But, you know, before we go any further, I feel like I should just say, um, there's, we, we should put a very obvious spoiler warning out here for anyone who is listening to this and has not watched, uh, season six yet. I mean, this is not just going to be sort of a general overview, giving some impressions of it and stuff. Um, you know, we're, we're going to go pretty in depth and talk about the story details and everything. So, um, if you haven't watched it yet and you don't want these episodes spoiled for yourselves, uh, tune out now so we don't spoil it for you and better yet, don't just tune out now, go watch the episodes. What do you do? Yes. I mean, come on, <laughs> these are awesome and they've been out for like a week. So, um, yeah, go ahead and, uh, check them out. But, um, yeah. And I wanted to add that before we got to like the big spoiler at the end of this story arc, 
But uh, back to what you were saying about uh, the Kamen Owens and uh, Dooku and everything, I was kind of surprised to learn that they were sort of still in contact with him because I don't even know if in the uh, if in episode two do the Kamen Owens ever actually directly mention uh, Tyrannus. No, they just say Sifo-Dyas. Django Fett was the only one who mentioned Tyrannus. Right, okay, yeah, that's what I thought was that uh, Django, or, you know, J- yeah, Django Fett was hired by Tyrannus, but the Kaminoans, I was like, I don't even know if the Kaminoans and uh, Dooku have any connection. So as soon as we see those two uh, communicating with each other, we know, you know, maybe something's up, and these Kaminoans have a little bit more, like, suspicious motives than we thought before, but as they're going along, because I know there's several scenes throughout these episodes where they contact Dooku to sort of update him on the situation that's going on. And, um, you know, as, as the conversation sort of develops, you, you eventually get the feeling, at least I got the feeling, that um, the Kaminoans aren't really in on the whole Order 66 plot yeah. because they say something about the fact that it's, um, you know, it's a prevention measure against Jedi going rogue, and so um, you know they know that the clones are are implanted with these chips that Tyrannus gave them that will make the clones you know execute this order and turn on the Jedi. But they think it's just a preventative measure, like in case the Jedi turn rogue and turn against the Republic, then they can you know execute them because obviously the Jedi are powerful and a Jedi gone rogue would be dangerous. But they don't want the Jedi Council and the Republic to find out about this because then they would be, you know, distrusting of the clones and of the Kaminoans and think like, oh, you guys hid the secret from us and you program these guys to be able to kill us if necessary. Like, obviously, the Jedi wouldn't be happy about that. So even though the Kaminoans don't know that Dooku and Sidious eventually plan to just turn the entire army against the entire Jedi Order and wipe them all out. You know, they don't know that there's anything that big or nefarious going on, but they do know that there's um, some more slightly shady stuff going on that they're not telling the Jedi about. Yeah, it's funny because they even had to make a cover story for the cover story <laughs> where they said that inhibitor chip was for, to suppress the clones more, like Django Fett's aggressive nature and personality, which in turn they were covering to what Dooku told them for to go against Rogue Jedi, which was a cover-up for actually being the Order 66 command. So it was like right. a cover-up over a cover-up for the real command. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah although but... one thing I will say that I, I won't say this is really like a, a... – negative of the the story arc for me because i mean i think the whole story still worked really well but one thing we never really got a clear answer on is why or like what exactly these chips do um you know because the explanation that um what's her name nala say the camino and scientist the explanation she gives to shock t about how these chips are in there to uh you know, make the clones more loyal and more obedient and less aggressive than Jango Fett. It goes right along with what Lama Su told Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones, that the clones are uh, genetically modified to be um, more obedient and less independent than Jango Fett. So I thought, okay, maybe that is what these chips do, and, like, those chips are what make them, um, you know, it's just what makes them follow orders. And so when Palpatine issues Order 66, they just have this chip in their brain that says, I can't disobey a direct order from the supreme chancellor but then the thing that sort i sort of question about that is 
at the beginning of the story arc, the thing that sets the whole thing off is you have, uh, you know, the clones fighting the droids on this massive space station. And that was cool was in awesome. and of itself yeah. to see, you know, another big battle sequence. But um, then you see, you know, the clone trooper Tup in the middle of the battle just sort of loses it, goes a little crazy and shoots one of the Jedi generals that they're working with. And uh, then, you know, they take him back to Kamino and that's what launches this whole investigation with Fives wanting to find out what happened to um, Tup and what made him do this. And so I'm like, if the chip is just there to make the clones follow orders and Tup's chip malfunctioned, then what made him kill the Jedi? Um, and so those are kind of the two big things that we don't really get a clear answer to in this story arc is what exactly does the chip do and what exactly, you know, how did Tup's chip malfunctioning exactly cause him to kill a Jedi? But I think the way that those two are interconnected makes me think that that chip isn't just what makes them follow orders, but that somehow it has something to do directly with Order 66, that maybe that order specifically is implanted on that chip or that, um, you know, maybe the clones have that chip implanted in their, or they, they have that order just like genetically programmed into their brain and the, the chip is sort of like a trigger switch for it. So something like that, I think the chip has to have something to do directly with order 66, but I don't know. Do you maybe have a different theory on that? Well, it probably wasn't directly said or explained in it, but the way I took it was that it pretty much is that inhibitor chip in there. That is the command for them to, kill the Jedi. That's what it's for. It's going to make them do it. And whatever happened, since it wasn't ordered to like go into effect by Palpatine, Tups just somehow malfunctioned for whatever reason, never really say why it malfunctioned. It was just a defect, a random defect that happened to him. And then since it was defective, it just got the order got to him to kill that Jedi. So since that happened to him, that's what makes me assume that that ship is specifically there for them to kill Jedi. It's not for them to follow an order from Palpatine, whatever, it's specifically there for them to kill the Jedi. So I just kind of took it where, yeah, it's not something where it's just coming from the highest command from Palpatine and they have to obey whatever he says. But no, it's just, he's probably, the, Palpatine's the only one who can probably activate Order 66 and that order is to kill the Jedi. So I think it probably wasn't fully explained or said to us to an audience, but... I was able to grasp it from that, that the whole point of that chip was for them to kill Jedi, not rogue Jedi, but just any Jedi they were with. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's part of it too is make this, like I said before, it just makes it so tragic was that they have no control over it as much as they kind of develop their own personalities and become more independent. And they even mentioned that too throughout when they were talking to Dooku, how they becoming more independent and taking on the personality traits of their Jedi generals than when it was expected. And even though they've come that far, they still were just <laughs> puppets to Palpatine's grand plan, and they have no say in the matter, and they're just pawns, really, which is just makes it more sad to see it all play through, especially when you see how hard Fives was trying to uncover this plot and how it was unsuccessful. So, yeah, just, again, it's a great writing by Katie Lucas and a great story that George Lucas came up for. I don't, I'm not sure how much he had this in the back of his head when he was developing Revenge of the Sith, maybe later on uh, as he was doing Clone Wars, the actual explanation, the idea behind it, and the reasoning and the explanation of the actual Order 66 uh, chip or that they had in their brains came out when he was doing this episode. But either way, it doesn't matter when he came up with it. It just, I thought, fit in perfectly with 
uh, how what we saw in Revenge of the Sith. And I did end up seeing Revenge of the Sith after I watched all these Lost Missions episodes. And this and the Yoda arc definitely added to some scenes in Revenge of the Sith, especially Order 66. You just can't help but think of Fives and what he went through and how he almost was able to prevent it from happening, but just Palpatine wasn't going to let him uncover it. And then <laughs> we saw the tragedy that happened. So, yeah, it all fit together pretty nicely for me. Maybe if it wasn't necessarily ex explained straight out, but I thought it all fit together nicely in the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even though, I mean, like I said, the, those two kind of big details would seem like they might be like a big plot hole or something, but I think it almost works better to, to leave those as things that fans can kind of debate and discuss over because it's not something that ruins the whole story. It's not like, oh yeah, the story was kind of good, but we still don't know what the chips do. It's like, those are my only two sort of lingering questions from this story arc, but I still, I mean, like I said, I think this was one of the best written arcs of the entire series. And I think even though we still don't know maybe exactly what the function of the chip was, we know that it causes it, you know, in some way or another causes the clones to follow order 66. And that's what the whole point of the storyline was. And so just basing it off of that, I mean, the story really worked as a whole. And just as I was watching this, I was like, I mean, again, like I mentioned before with all the talk about, um, you know, scanning Tup's brain and do, you know, it's like, Oh no, we got to do a, autopsy and we should just kill him no we got to do a level five atomic bio scan and then like oh we found this tumor and then it's implanted at like this stage of infancy and just with all this like technical medical talk and everything it's like this yeah. could have been a sloppy boring mess if not handled correctly um but yeah everything just fit together so well and you know, I was almost surprised that these episodes were as good as they were, just by all the stuff that they tried to pack in here. But um, yeah, they they just executed it all really well. And uh, but like you said too about how this sort of adds to um, episode three. I haven't actually watched episode three yet. You know, since watching these episodes, but um, I thought about that after after I finished watching the episodes. I was just sort of thinking about this story arc, and like it just sort of hit me that man, I've always seen the clones as sort of believing Palpatine's story that the Jedi have turned against the Republic and, you know, I'm the highest authority and I'm the Chancellor and so you have to do what I say for the good of the Republic and kill the Jedi and they're just like, yes, my lord, and they, you know, follow him because they're just programmed to follow orders. But instead, you know, this story arc puts it into a whole new light where you can almost imagine you know, what Commander Cody must be thinking as he, like, gives the, his guys the order to shoot down Obi-Wan. It's like, he doesn't want to do that, but he's got a switch in his brain that's making him do it uncontrollably. So, um, yeah, it definitely yeah. makes the... It definitely paints the clones in a more sympathetic light and uh, makes it seem like they're just pawns in Palpatine's game just as much as the Jedi and the Senate and everybody else that he manipulates. I kind of actually had the opposite thought to that what you were saying about Cody how he probably doesn't want to do that I think when Order 66 when Palpatine executes that order I think it triggers not only for them to kill the Jedi in their heads but it changes their personality too where they hate the Jedi and I think all probably their past I don't say the memories are gone but just their fondness or whatever close relationships would have with the Jedi are gone where they're just enemies now because you saw how crazy Tuff got when he saw those Jedi even after he killed the one of the sisters and then he saw the other one and then he just lashed out at her so i think it just 
personality-wise, it changes them too. And it's not just where, oh, I'm going to, I have no choice to follow this orders. I don't want to, but I have to. I think it's like, no, I hate you now. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and then, Well, I, I don't know if it makes them like completely hate them and be, you know, totally like aggressive and violent towards them. Because yes, we see Tup do that, but also Tup had some sort of malfunction with his chip. Um, and I just think it took his malfunction took away what it activated it prematurely. That's what the malfunction was. And I think that his reaction was intended to be the effect of the order 66. It just got prematurely activated and that was the malfunction. At least that's how I took it. Well, see, I don't know if I completely agree with that just because his chip malfunctioning also caused him to have a mental breakdown and eventually die. So... Well, she did. I think it was that was the case with the Camino and Doctor, where she gave him that shot, the same one she gave Fives at the end. I think she did that on purpose to make it look like where she had to kill him and there was something wrong with him where she had to do the, like you said, do the autopsy on it. I think it was all planned to try to cover it up. Yeah, but even then, I mean, from the beginning of the episode, like when, when Tup first shoots the Jedi, um, you know, when in episode three, when Palpatine executes Order 66, the clones aren't all like holding their heads and going, oh, what's going on? Yeah. Oh, follow orders, Jedi, Jedi. It's like, no, they just turn and execute the order. So I think the fact that Tup's chip sort of decayed and malfunctioned not only caused him to execute Order 66 prematurely, but also obviously have him to have or caused him to have some sort of mental breakdown. And you see him even before he gets to Camino and uh, Nala Say is, you know, injecting him with whatever she injects him with. Um, you know, he's, he's losing his mind and going crazy. And that doesn't happen to all the clones who execute order 66. So, although on the, on the other hand, I do think that you might be onto something where it's, um, you know, I don't think that the clones maybe like just kill the Jedi and then feel absolutely, you know, like the exact same way that they did before. You know, it's not like they shoot the Jedi and then be like, oh, crap, what did I just do? Like, yeah. I just did this one thing that this chip in my brain made me do and then suddenly went back to the way things were before. But um, I also don't think that there's suddenly like, you know, yeah, Jedi are evil and we absolutely hate all of them. Like, I mean, I, I would like to see maybe, you know, some sort of story or something that takes place after episode three. Um, examining like the the psychological effects of that, especially now that we know that it's not just that the clones believe Palpatine and go along with this story, but that they have this chip in their brain that makes them follow this order. Like, do any of them feel regrets about it afterwards? Do they even remember it? Do they remember the relationships with the Jedi that they had before Order 66? So, I mean, it definitely opens up some new questions about it, but at the same time, I think it did sort of um, paint a clearer picture and you know what that's one thing that i love about this story arc too um just one of the many things because it was such a great storyline but and sort of going into it when you were saying that you were glad that they finally tackled this and you were wondering like how it all happened and you know what exactly made the clones do this i never really felt like i needed that much of an explanation for it because for me the explanation of um you know when you combine everything from like episode two and episode three where they say that the clones are bred to be loyal and, uh, you know, they, they're more creative and free thinking than battle droids, but they're also, um, more obedient and less independent than, you know, your average, like naturally born person. And the fact that they serve the Republic and that Palpatine is the, you know, highest power in the Republic that if he says, 
that the Jedi are, you know, have turned against the Republic and we're going to execute this emergency order to terminate them all before they become a threat, that the clones would believe him and go along with that. Especially, I mean, look how easily the Senate goes along with that and they don't have chips implanted in their brains, you know, but he makes up some bogus story about how the Jedi tried to murder me and take over the Republic. And so I'm going to make the Republic into an empire. So we're all safe. And the Senate's like, yay. And I'm like, well, if they could go along with that, the clones who were programmed to be even less independent, heck, they would believe that too. So I was hoping that this story wasn't going to add a whole bunch of unnecessary stuff to the story, that it wasn't going to try to come up with like a really unnecessarily complex explanation for something that I didn't, feel like needed much of an explanation in the first place. And I know I'm, you know, I don't know if I'm in the minority out there, but I know I'm definitely not in the majority because I know a lot of people who feel like you that felt like that they did want an explanation to this. But I'm just glad that I really was satisfied with the explanation that they gave and I felt like it made sense and it made it fit within the context of what we already know and it just sort of expanded it without trying to be like, oh, here's some brand new stuff about order 66 that you never thought of before and it had its origins all the way back here and this person was involved and that person was involved and i could have been like and this is just too much and i was happier just with my own explanation with the way that things went in episode three but with all the stuff that they added to it in this story arc i just felt like it all really fit well into the equation and just added more to it without sort of introducing anything new or unnecessary or complex. It just sort of broadened and uh, enriched just sort of what was already there. So I was, again, that's one of the reasons why I feel, another reason why I feel like Katie Lucas just did such a great job writing these episodes. Um, I just, I think it was probably the best job they could do of tackling Order 66 and explaining more about how this happened. Yeah, no question there. But I have seen some fans try to piece together ways because there have been EU stories where there were some clones they didn't go through with Order 66 and they let the Jedi go. But now that's kind of out the window now <laughs> with how uh, Order 66 was explained in this arc. But maybe that could be another malfunction where <laughs> they just it didn't trigger with them right and they let them go. But I don't know. That kind of for me anyway, it makes that those kind of stories. Uh, I guess it goes to again the point again where how much you take the eu into your own personal canon but it kind of puts a little uh, wrench in there where it's not all going to fit so smoothly now at least with those stories pertaining to clones letting some jedis live and not going through with order 66 because it almost seems impossible not to go through with it now now that we know how it works with those being those chips planted in their heads so that's not a big deal for me but i have seen that going out going online some fans wondering or I don't want to say upset because I haven't seen too many people saying they're upset, but just kind of wondering how can this all fit together in our own personal canon. But other than that, I was wanted to go back to what you were saying earlier, how you were kind of surprised the episodes worked so well because there wasn't really a whole lot of action. And that kind of surprised me a little bit too. I was expecting more action in this arc, but it was really only in that very first episode. But at the same time too, I didn't mind it at all because like you said, it was just so good trying to see I was trying to get to the bottom of this and figure out this whole plot. This is why it was happening in the tub and then later on him. And again, I just loved the interaction he had too with the medical droid there. Uh, they, it was like, you wouldn't expect a clone in the droid to have that good uh, uh, chemistry, I would say. And it, it was voiced by the same 
voice actor, I think, who did Whack. And even though I didn't find Whack annoying in the Joy arc, I, I think did. this is. <laughs> I know you did. I think this is probably a version of Whack that would have went over a lot better <laughs> with amongst fans because I thought him and uh, Fives worked really well together. They had some funny moments too. But yeah, and I completely agree with you there. I mean, I I was thinking that the whole time watching these two together because I realized. I mean, I guess it was either watching the credits of the first episode or maybe I just recognized the voice that I was like, oh, yeah, this is the same guy that does the voice of Whack in the D-Squad episodes from season five. And yet the uh, the difference in the material was <laughs> astronomical, in my opinion. I mean, Whack had a few funny moments for me. I mean, it wasn't like I hated every single second he was on screen, but... He was kind of like Jar Jar Binks, I guess, although I'd say I even like Jar Jar a little more than I like Whack, where he's funny at times, and then other times it's just like, okay, this is a bit much. Stop with the goofy antics. We've got a mission to get to. Come on, guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, just the juxtaposition here was just so great where, um, I mean, for one thing, obviously you've got uh, five sort of lecturing him on the, the clone's individuality, but then also where they're just like on this serious mission and you've got this medical droid who obviously is really helpful. <laughs> maybe that's the, maybe, maybe that's part of why I like him so much is whack didn't really seem to do anything important in the D squad arc, except like fly the shuttle. But, um, you know, AZI, I think it's AZI-3 or something, or they just called him AZ. It's like he proved to be actually be like a really competent medical droid yeah. too and help, you know, take the chips out of their brains and stuff, but then just had some really funny dialogue along the way. I think probably my favorite part of that was when um, Fives is explaining to him like how clones like to go by their names and not their numbers, and he's like, um, you know, he calls Tup, CC5863 or whatever his number is. And then he's like, no, he's Tup and I'm Fives. And he's like, no, you are Arc Trooper 5555. And he's like, no, just call me Fives. And he's like, but five is also a number. And then he's like, no, it's Fives. And he's like, oh, yeah, the difference is minimal. Um, but then he meets him later. They're like passing each other in a hallway. And he's like, oh, hello, Arc Trooper 5. Zzz. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i love the the sort of just comic interplay between those two and added a little bit of comic relief to what was otherwise just a dead serious storyline with some really sort of bleak implications here yeah definitely and it didn't go over the top too like you're like you said it was just the perfect balance of having enough comic relief to get some funny moments in there but still keeping that very very serious tone <laughs> that was going on throughout these four episodes and yeah, we just got to talk about Fives. I mean, he's been one of the cooler characters, not just amongst the clones, but I think it's, it's a cool character in general for the whole series ever since we saw him back in Rookies and then seeing him advance and progress to become an ARC trooper and then to see him lose uh, the his, one of his uh, squad mates or cadets in the Echo and the Citadel trilogy. And then we see him get to develop more of a relationship with Rex and Tup in the Umbara arc. And then to see it all kind of comes to an end in this arc but man you're really rooting for him in this episode even though you knew his fate well i said today i knew before because i got spoiled on it <laughs> what was going to happen to fives but even so i guess if you weren't spoiled like you were kyle did you kind of see it coming for him where yeah i don't think fives is going to make it out of this alive or was it a shock to you when he finally did uh, no i i definitely had a sinking feeling um especially if, i mean going into it even knowing just that the arc was about 
Order 66. And, um, I mean, we had seen the clip months ago where Tup executes a Jedi, and then we know that the whole storyline revolves around Fives trying to figure that out. Um, I guess maybe once I read the episode descriptions and thought about it a little bit, I was just like, yeah, Fives probably isn't going to make it out of this because if he's investigating Order 66, either he's not going to find out anything about it, which would make for a boring episode because then we as the audience don't find out anything about it, um, or he could find out about it and go along with it and be okay with it, um, but... That would kind of be disappointing, especially because, like you said, he's been built up to be, you know, kind of such a cool character. And we've seen him working alongside Anakin and the Jedi before. But also, you know, when you read the the descriptions for the episodes, especially the last episode where it talks about him going on the run, it's like, okay, well, it obviously doesn't seem like he's going along with this. It's like now suddenly the, the tables have turned against him. And it's like if he is – if he's found out about Order 66 – and is trying to expose it or somebody's going after him because of what he knows, then sadly I kind of had the feeling that he doesn't really stand a chance because obviously we know this isn't this is something that isn't going to come to light until episode three, and we're not at that point yet, so he can't just go around warning everybody about Order 66 because it can't happen yet. And so, um, yeah, I think that's just sort of one of the unfortunate things about this story arc that we had to lose such a cool character in fives. But I, I will say kind of one of my theories about this before I actually saw the episodes, I was thinking, well, maybe once he's like investigating Order 66, maybe he's going to somehow accidentally stumble upon the fact that the Chancellor is Darth Sidious. And then before he can tell anybody, like, Darth Sidious is going to kill him with his lightsaber. Like, if you're going to go out, that would be a pretty significant and pretty shocking way to go out. And I was almost hoping for that. And it almost happened, too, because at the beginning of the last episode, um, you know, Fives and Palpatine are in a room together. And we don't actually hear what Palpatine says. But and I still wanted to hear what he said. <laughs> you can, but you can pretty much infer from what happens afterwards that Palpatine basically just laid out his whole plan to fives and told him everything about order 66 and heck maybe he even did tell him that he was the Sith Lord, but he was basically like, you know, I can tell you all of this because you can choose to go along with it and keep your mouth shut and everything will be fine. Or if you choose to turn and run and try to expose all of this, I'm the most powerful man in the galaxy and I can, you know, make people not believe you. I can make you disappear. I can have you killed. And so he wasn't really worried about the consequences. And then that's pretty much exactly what happens. Um, although sadly also Nala say had a lot to do with it when she drugged fives at the beginning of this episode, yeah. which just made me so mad because then we get to the end where he's in that warehouse with Anakin and Rex and trying to explain it to them. And by that time you see this drug has really set in and he is, acting almost as crazy as Tup was in the first episode. And you can tell, like, even though he tells Anakin and Rex that there's, I mean, he doesn't really explain everything to them in perfectly clear detail, but still, I mean, he does get the point across that there's a plot involving clones killing Jedi and that there's this whole conspiracy and it goes all the way to the top and people are trying to cover it up and the Jedi are in danger and Anakin and Rex are not really taking him seriously because they're that thinking he's too. going crazy just like Tup is. And I'm just like, you know, like I said, in a way, Nala Se is responsible for all of it because then, of course, 
the the clone troopers come into the warehouse and uh, you know Tup or Fives not being in his right mind grabs one of Rex's blasters and tries to shoot Commander Fox who shoots him first and uh, you know sadly Fives dies but I'm like that wouldn't have happened if he could think straight and the freaking Kaminoan doctor wouldn't have drugged him and got him into this mess in the first place. Yep, I mean, we all know Palpatine is the big bad guy in all this, but the character you end up hating most in this arc is Nalise. Like you said, yep. for all the stuff she did to Fives, and, and I just can't help but when I watched epi- uh, episode three right after, the day after I saw these episodes, like, when I saw Order 66, like, uh, if only Fives <laughs> wasn't drugged and he was able to warn the Jedi, none of this would have happened. It's like, that's just another cool thing that adds to episode three now when you watch that scene. But, yeah, it just sucks because... Even Anakin and Rex didn't believe him. I mean, as soon as Five started mentioning how the Chancellor's in on it, it's from him. Anakin didn't want to hear it. He was like, okay, I know you're really messed up now. <laughs> like, I know you're lying. And, but, of course, we know he wasn't. It just makes it that much more sad to know that he ends up dying over it because of that. And that stupid Kaminoan doctor. <laughs> yeah. But, but speaking of episode three, um, there were just, like, a couple of – at least what for me were like mind blowing fan service moments in this episode where at the beginning of it, when he's in the shuttle and they land on Coruscant and it's almost like recreated shot for shot of when Palpatine in his shuttle, like lands at the, that exact same medical facility with Anakin's limbless body at the end of episode three and uh you know they're like walking along the platform and they've got him on the sort of medical hover carrier thing and then they take fives into an operating room which at the time i thought was the same one that darth vader was created in and i just had like a mini freak out when i saw that and i was just like holy crap like when i just saw the room and you know the the look of it and the lighting and everything was even the droids too. Yeah, it was pretty much exactly the same. Now, if you go and look at the episode guides for these episodes on StarWars.com, they actually point out that it's not the exact same room um, because unlike the one that Vader was created in, this one has – they're kind of hard to see, but it has like some sort of seating – like observation stations, I guess, around the outside of the room where people could like sit and watch – um, but obviously it's really similar and, you know, so maybe just this one medical facility had a whole bunch of rooms that all looked the same, but, um, it was just like, I mean, obviously the imagery there, you know, where they got that from and you know, what is going to take place and what character is going to be created in a room almost exactly like that in a very short period of time. So that was just really cool to see. Yeah, I actually got a small gripe about that. I mean, the, that whole, like you said, scene was awesome. Like, it was a real geek out moment. But then why did they have to go out of their way to say, no, that actually wasn't the same room as Darth Vader was created in? I mean, it lo- pretty much looks exactly the same, maybe some little differences. Just let it be a cool fan moment and have it be the same room. Because to me, I took it, they're meeting Palpatine. Palpatine probably took him into that uh, medical facility. And that makes me think, oh, since Palpatine's meeting him there, it's probably the same one. He had uh, Anakin be created into Darth Vader because he was president in both of those instances. But no, they go out of the way and say, no, it's not exactly the same room. It just takes a little bit away from it. <laughs> and for me personally, I like to think, oh, that's the same one because <laughs> it looks pretty much identical, like you said. This isn't the first time they did that. I remember a few years ago, I don't remember when, but they're saying how at the end of episode three, uh, Bail Organish and Captain Antilles' ship, it looks pretty much like the Tantu Four, 
but they said on StarWars.com or somewhere that, oh, it's actually not. It's a different type of ship, but it looks exactly the same. Just let it be the same ship. It's just a good connection between both trilogies and to the fans. So it bugs me that they go out of the way to take these cool fan uh, service moments and kind of tweak them out. Where, no, it's not exactly the same, and it's not exactly what you think, but it's close. But just have it be the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, so, in the in the case of the medical room, like... I don't even care that much because the first time I saw the episode, I hadn't read the episode guide yet. And I yeah, thought it here. was the exact same room. And of course I'm never going to have the same reaction watching that episode again anyways, because I know it's coming and it's not going to be as big of a surprise. So it's like, okay, fine. You want to tell me now it's a different room. That's fine. Because at least I got to enjoy my huge geek out moment. The first time I saw it and in my mind knew it was the same room as the one Darth Vader was created in. So, um, you know, at least for a first time viewing experience, it's like they can never take that away from me. Yeah, that's true. But still, it just bugs me. That it's like they go out of the way to have it not be the same thing <laughs> or that you expect it to be. But that was a small rant I had to get off my chest because it <laughs> bugged me when I first read out the episode. I was like, really? Why did you have to do that? <laughs> it was such a cool moment. And like, it seems unnecessary, too. That's what bugged me about it. There's no harm in it being the same one. Yeah. Well, see, I have to wonder if, you know, with those, like, viewing stations around the edges of it or something, like, did they put those in intentionally to make sure it was a different room? Or did they maybe, like, base that off of some concept art for episode three and then they went back and looked at, like, what actually ended up in the movie and were like, oh, well, those aren't there in episode three and we put them there in the episode. So now we can't say that they're the same room because otherwise, you know, some fans who are like really nitpicky about details and stuff will, you know, get on our case about continuity and stuff and say that they don't look alike. So we have to say that they're different. So I don't know, like I said, it's not a huge deal for me because it's close enough that if you want to watch it and act like those two rooms are the exact same room, like nobody's really going to argue with you on that point. Yeah, because like I said, I watched the episode uh, first on at midnight when they first went on Netflix, but then I watched them again the night afterwards with my brothers who I didn't see it yet. And I knew beforehand that, okay, I read the StarWars.com episode guide. I knew that wasn't the room, but then my brother says, oh, that's cool. It's the same room that Darth Vader or Anakin became Darth Vader in. And I just like, yep, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't want to ruin yeah. it because <laughs> yeah. I know he'll never look at the episode guide. So just let him have that uh cool moment where he thinks it's the same room that Darth Vader was created in. Yeah, exactly. And again, you know, just seeing that the first time, like that imagery was just so cool to see that again. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think we've pretty much covered everything for for that story arc, unless you had anything else you wanted to add to it. The only thing I'll say was a pretty... It looked cool, but at the same time, I hated seeing it, what happened to the clones, but where they first... uh, the battle droid stole Tup's body from them when they were trying to transport him to Kamino. That was a pretty brutal action sequence. Where yeah. See those destroyer droids take out the clone trooper pilots and just have see their helmets get sucked out and then they get sucked out into space and then boarding the ship and the gravity's out and just seeing them just massacre all the clones in there. It was a pretty brutal, but also too, the sequence where Anakin fives and Rex took out the, uh, those droids and rescue tub was pretty cool too. And there were some funny lines in there too. I liked it where a uh, fives made a comment about, uh, Anakin's binoculars or <laughs> no, they, yeah. those Jedi issues, like mocking how small they are <laughs> compared yeah. to his. <laughs> so yeah, that was a great moment too. That first episode was really great. 
Yeah, and we didn't even talk a whole lot about that first episode. There were some great battle scenes in there. And yeah. like you said, that, that scene where the battle droids board the medical uh, transport and, uh, you know, the clones that are, like, in the cargo bay guarding Tup and the droids break in. I mean, that was, uh, just, like you said, uh, really cool but also kind of dark and chilling, like, zero-gravity firefight where all the clones just get killed. And then Anakin and Rex and Fives go in to investigate and you see, like the the dead bodies of the clones sort of yeah. floating around and with their faces just sort of like you know one of them you see like a really close-up shot of his dead face with the eyes rolled back and everything just sort of like float right past the camera <laughs> and b- because of um some stuff in these episodes and some stuff in the other episodes coming up that we'll get to in a bit i almost wondered like you know part of it almost seemed like they planned these episodes to be on Netflix because some of it, I was like, would this even make it onto cartoon network? Um, there are a couple other things I'll, I'll mention later, but you know, just some, some dark stuff, some slightly adult humor that I was like, wow, I almost can't imagine them being allowed to show this on cartoon network, but I'm kind of glad that we get to see it because it makes it cooler. It makes it funny or whatever. But, uh, and then when you were talking about, um, funny moments when they, uh, when they boarded the ship, um, one of the few uses of battle droid humor that I actually thought was funny. I mean, the, battle droids have had some funny lines before, but I think one of the things this show was notorious for in the first couple of seasons was the battle droids just being annoying and, yeah. um, you know, being overused for comic relief. But I thought it was really funny when, uh, the, the shuttle takes off and Anakin and Fives and Rex all, you know, sort of hang onto it with their grappling guns and the battle droid pilot flying the ship is like, Hey, we're experiencing some drag, and then the tactical dro- the tactical droid that's with him is like um, in the vacuum of space. And he's like, "Yeah, I know it's weird." And then Anakin and Rex and Fives all board the ship, and they're you know shooting all the droids and stuff. And the pilot's like, "Hey, now we're experiencing some turbulence!" Right before Five shoots his head off, and I was like, "Okay, that was pretty funny." Yeah, I guess the one last thing I'll mention too. I won't say it's a complaint, but I thought it was a little puzzling where they never really explained anything as far as how uh, Admiral Trent survived <laughs> that explosion from season two episode Cat and Mouse. I mean, because it, it was a massive explosion of that ship, but he looked good as dead. But, of course, we saw he had, like, half of his body is all cybernetic now. But I just thought he would, was going to play a bigger role in it and maybe have some explanation. Like, and it can mention, oh, so you survived that or, some, I don't know, some dialogue that explained how he survived that explosion but nope, it was just like he was there all along and then he started his purpose and reporting Dooku about Tup and he was gone never mentioned again so that was one thing I thought was a little puzzling yeah I wasn't really surprised or disappointed that we didn't get an explanation for how he came back just because I didn't really expect it I mean if Darth Maul can get cut in half and thrown down a giant energy shaft and the only reason you know, the only real explanation we get for how he came back from the dead was that the dark side and his hatred kept his spirit alive, even though his body was broken. It's like, yeah, but how do your organs still work? And how did you get from a junk pit on Naboo all the way to, uh, you know, I can't even remember the name of the planet in uh, Brothers where Savage finds him. But it's like, I think that kind of stuff in Star Wars has always been more about the story and the characters rather than the exact specifics of how some of this kind of stuff happens but um i was kind of surprised like you said that trench like if they're going to go through the effort to bring him back you know a character that we all thought was dead and make him look all cybernetic and stuff i was kind of surprised that he wasn't 
you know, that he didn't have a more prominent role in the story arc. Um, because they just as easily could have replaced him with general grievous or some other, you know, maybe just a tactical droid or some other, uh, separatist who wasn't dead. Um, because like you said, he pretty much is just commanding the battle in the first episode reports to Dooku tells him about Tup and then orders his guys to, you know, go capture this clone that Dooku wants to examine. Um, and I thought that maybe, um, like once Tup goes to Kamino with fives and Rex and then Rex heads back to the battle, I thought that maybe the story arc was going to kind of split and that we were going to follow fives investigating on Kamino, but also go back to like Rex and Anakin trying to win this battle. And we would see more of Admiral Trench, but it just focused on fives after that. Although I did like that they did sort of tie those two threads back together at the end where, um, when they're on Coruscant, like Anakin is back on Coruscant and, uh, fives goes into that clone bar, which I thought was interesting that they have a bar on Coruscant that's just for clone troopers. I've never yeah, thought of that. That before, was unexpected. Um, you know, I, I thought it was kind of neat that he sees, uh, you know, who's like Jesse and kicks or whatever there in the bar. And so, and they're talking about like, oh yeah, the 501st just got back from this battle on Ringo Vinda and, you know, um, it was just giant space station and this weird thing happened out there with one of our troopers and five was just like, yeah, I was there. But I just thought it was kind of nice that even though they didn't show what was going on in that battle, they did sort of acknowledge that it was going on at the same time and then sort of tie it back in at the end. Whereas with some story arcs, like with the Umbara arc, where at the beginning General Krell tells Anakin, hey, the Chancellor wants to see you and Anakin leaves. And then the whole rest of the story arc, Krell sabotages Anakin's squad. I always wanted to see, like, what was Anakin doing that whole time? Because he probably just showed up on Coruscant and Palpatine was like, uh, I didn't ask for you. And Anakin's like, okay, cool. I'll just chill here with Padme then. And, (laughs) you know, waits to find out that like his whole squad got killed. I'm like, I want to see the aftermath of that, or at least see, you know, what happened to Anakin and how he sort of ties back into all this. So I'm glad that they sort of brought that story arc around back into it at some point. Um, That was a nice little touch. I thought. Yeah, agreed. I mean, everything did at the end get wrapped up nicely without pretty much any questions, except for the about Trench. But it's not anything where I go, oh, the whole arc's ruined now because General Trench was explained how he survived. Mm-hmm. I really hope no one thinks that, where they hold General Trench in such high regard that an explanation was needed for them to like this arc. But I don't think that's the case. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> I definitely don't think that was the intent. Yeah. But yeah, so overall, great arc. It was a sad one because being a big clone fan, it was kind of sad to see all the Domino Squad members fall now. Except, well, we'll probably talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> but for what we've seen, all the Domino Squad members are now gone, and it was sad, especially the way Fives had to go be killed by one of his own brothers, too. So it was a, a sad arc to see if you're a big clone fan, but at the end of the day, it's a well told story. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned this before, how we've seen, we, we've kind of been along with Fives on this journey ever since season one, and we've seen him go from a cadet to a rookie to an experienced clone trooper to an arc trooper, and now to almost saving the Jedi from being wiped out by Order 66 just to, um, you know, ultimately get thwarted by Palpatine at the end. It's like, when you think about it, Fives has one of the sort of some of the biggest character development out of any character on this show. I mean, I would say even aside from Ahsoka, he probably has the most character development, even though he's not really a main character, we don't see him a whole lot. 
Um, we've maybe seen him in like one story arc per season, I guess. Um, except like two story arcs in season three and none in season two. But um, just the the way we see, I mean, like I said, where we see him start at the beginning of the series and where he ends up, um, you know, we might not get a whole lot of development into like his actual character, but we certainly see him progress through the ranks as a clone trooper and gain more experience and more prestige and, um, you know, become respected as a, as a veteran arc trooper there by the end. So um, it definitely is a, a big journey that we see him go on over the course of this series. And like you said, definitely sad to lose uh, a fan favorite clone trooper there, but um, he definitely went out in a great story arc. Yeah, definitely a very important one too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But um, all right, let's move on to the Clovis arc. And I'm sure with the Clovis arc and then the, the two Jar Jar episodes after that, we probably won't have as much to talk about. And then we'll be here till Tuesday talking about the Yoda arc. Yeah. <laughs> but um, So the Clovis arc, um, this is one that I know I've kind of hyped up a lot because it was one that I was kind of bummed to see get cut from season five because I really like seeing Anakin and Padme together and was looking forward to seeing uh, some more character development and sort of relationship development between the two of them. Um, and I don't know. Well, t- Tim, I'll let you start, I guess. What what uh, were some of your thoughts on this arc? Yeah, I enjoyed this one. I heard some mixed reactions about it online, saying oh, it was kind of a wasted episode, a wasted arc. And others saying it was a good one. I liked how it explored Boar's relationship with Anakin and Padme. It had like a real... We got to see a real rough patch for them in their marriage, and I thought all of it was pretty good. Maybe the first, I would say half of the very first episode, um, where it was kind of slow, and it was like, okay, let's kind of get going. As soon as Anakin came around to get Padme out of prison, and then we had the whole cool chase sequence with Embo, and then the, the whole arc in general really picked up for me. I loved how Anakin treated Clovis and how you could tell definitely he was jealous of him and just hated seeing him around. And like you mentioned before, too, the scene you just saw in celebration with him and Obi-Wan in his room. I thought that scene was great. This visually, it looked cool seeing that pod racing poster on there and then mm-hmm. just seeing the interaction that him and Obi-Wan were having. I mean, he was trying to hide that him and Padme, him and Padme were married and have a relationship and that they were just friends. But you saw how angry it was, and you kind of knew Obi-Wan knew it was more than just uh, friendship. And he mentioned Satine in there and that was a cool throwback even though it does take place before she was actually killed when and the mandalore darth maul arc so there's a little continuity error there even though they try to make it work but overall i enjoyed this arc basically because of anakin and how uh he treated clovis because that whole fight sequence they had was really cool too but stupid clovis trying to talk smack with anakin it's like oh let's see how <laughs> tough you are without your lightsabers all like fine i'll gladly show you he just takes them to town <laughs> clovis maybe got one or two punches in there but it was like no contest i'd love the moment where he punched anakin's robotic hand and hurt himself with <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> that was awesome and then too i like the whole uh end battle sequence too in the final episode of the arc it wasn't that long but finally got to see that scene that we saw in the season five trailers with the clone trooper thorn taking out all those battle droids and just going out in a blaze of glory <laughs> there was got a pretty cool aerial battle sequence too in the very last uh, part where those clone troopers were it was just cool something we never saw before in the series i think where you saw a droid fighter on the tail of a clone pilot but then you see another clone trooper go out and take that uh droid starfighter and save his uh, squad mate this reminded me of how luke came to save uh 
or Wedge came to save Luke in the New Hope where he had the TIE fighter on his back. So it kind of drew some parallels there that I liked. And then, too, just another thing that I thought was pretty cool that I wasn't expecting from this arc to explain, but how Palpatine took control of the whole uh, banking clan and pretty much gained control of all the money in the Republic and how that was like a part of his plan that had to be taken care of, but was something I didn't think we'd see or never really thought about, to be frank. But it was cool to see in the end that it was a necessary necessary step he had to take to take control of the Republic and gain absolute power. So I thought that was pretty cool. Another small thing, too. I finally know the correct way to pronounce the moons. I always wonder if it was moons or the muns. <laughs> I think there was some debate, but now I definitely know it's the moons. So there was that. So well, overall, is, yeah. it, is it the moons or the munes? Oh, it's munes. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought that's what it was. And I think that's, I think that's what I've always called them. Cause I think in the micro series, I don't know if they ever actually say the name, but I know they go to the planet Munilinst. Yeah, they just say the banking clan. I don't think they actually say the Munes. So. Okay, yeah, I don't think they say the name of the species, but the planet is Munilinst, and so I thought they might have named the planet in there. But um, it, yeah, but I, I guess I pretty much had some of the same feelings you did on uh, the arc overall. Um, I wasn't as thrilled about the whole banking aspects of it, um, but like you said, once Anakin showed up and we got to see the interaction between him and Padme and him and Clovis, I mean, that was my favorite part of the whole, uh, this whole story arc. And there, I mean, some of the political episodes have been some of my least favorite of the series. Yeah. And then there have been some that I haven't minded as much as some people, but I mean, my least, well, I don't know if I can even say my least favorite episode. One of my top three least favorite episodes of the entire series is, pursuit of peace and that's yep. another one where they're talking a lot about banks and loans and interest rates and all that kind of stuff and i was just like why are we tackling this topic in a star wars cartoon that uh, it's just really dry and everything and i guess i felt like it was handled a little bit better here but i still wasn't thrilled by it um but i think part of it might have been um, some of my own fault just for, like I said, getting so excited to see more of Anakin and Padme that by the time we were about halfway through the first episode or maybe like even 10 minutes into the first episode where you just see Padme and Clovis doing all this stuff on Scipio and, you know, going into this giant bank vault and everything. I was like, wait, Anakin isn't even going to be in this first episode, is he? This is just going to be all banking stuff. Like, OK, I'll, you know, sit through this one. So that was probably... My least, you know, like you said, the first episode was my least favorite episode of the story arc, and probably of this whole season. But I mean, I didn't yeah. hate it necessarily. I mean, it definitely wasn't as bad as <laughs> Corruption or Pursuit of Peace, but yeah. um, just you know, not terribly exciting until, like you said, Anakin shows up, and then they have the bounty hunter chase with Embo at the end, um, which was really cool. Although I kind of wish we hadn't seen so much of it in preview clips because um, I think that was another one that they showed us at Celebration Six, and it's like. You know, it was a really cool chasing, but I kind of seen most of it before. But at the same time, it was still cool to see, um, you know, so that was an exciting sequence. And I liked, especially in the second episode, I liked the sort of the tension and the interaction between Anakin and Clovis. But in the first episode, I almost felt like Anakin was kind of a jerk to him, like almost, <laughs> I didn't unpro feel that way at all. almost unprovoked. Because in the second episode, obviously, it's like he's seen... Padme and Clovis together and he and Padme kind of get in this argument about, you know, Clovis and he's a traitor and he's a separatist and you shouldn't be with him and he's dangerous and blah, blah, blah. 
And so then, like you said, in that scene where they have the fight and Anakin just goes off on him, it's kind of built up to that point. You can understand, like, there's a lot of tension that's been going on for a while where, um, you know, he doesn't want Padme being around him. But with uh, when Anakin shows up in the first episode and he goes to, like, rescue Padme and Clovis from this, you know, I guess it's Clovis's, you know, retreat or whatever where Embo goes and finds them. Um, and it's like, as soon as Anakin sees Clovis, like right off the bat, he's just a huge jerk to him. And I'm like, okay, you're acting a little bit childish here. Like you don't even know if there's anything going on between him and Padme yet. So I was maybe not, uh, thrilled about the way Anakin acted right there. But then again, we're talking about the future Darth Vader. So, you know, it's not like he's going to be the, the perfect model of a, a great peaceful Jedi all the time anyway. So um, I thought that was kind of maybe an interesting choice of, of character there, but yeah, then definitely by the second episode, I loved, um, the, the tension between him and Padme and him and Clovis. And like you said, that fight scene where Anakin just beats the crap out of him <laughs> and where, yeah, I love that moment too, where Clovis goes to punch Anakin and Anakin just punches his hand with his metal hand and there's nothing Clovis can do there. Um, but then you just see that intense anger, like Anakin literally almost kills him and yep. Padme is like screaming at him to stop. And he realizes like, dang, I've gone too far. But then I also like the fact that they, you know, really sort of tackle the consequences of that. It's not like, oh, they're sort of the heroes of this story. So, of course, they're going to be in love. And even though Anakin has anger issues, like Padme loves him for it anyways, and they're just going to, um, you know, fix it all. It's like. No, they actually went through a pretty rough time after this. And, you know, when when Padme says kind of when they have their talk about it afterwards and Padme's like, look, we we have a relationship based on lies and you obviously don't trust me because, you know, you're beating up Clovis when I don't like him. I've told you this. We're just working together because I need to, you know, get to the bottom of this investigation and you know, we can't trust other people because we can't tell them they're married. Like, I'm just not happy and I don't think we should be together. And I'm like, holy crap, I didn't think they would actually, like, fall that far. But yeah. it was good to see that, you know, in the midst of this war, like, it really takes a, a toll on their relationship. And being a Jedi and a senator who can't be together, who are in a secret relationship in the middle of a galactic war that they're both involved in, like, yeah, it's obviously going to put a huge strain on them. So I'm glad that we finally got to to see them tackle that. And then, yeah. of course, they, you know, they, they work it out in the end when Anakin comes to save her from, uh, you know, the droid invasion when Clovis turns out to be a traitor and he was working for Dooku all along. And it, I guess it's not really that he was a traitor. He seemed like he may have kind of tried to be idealistic, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but you were sort of, you know, it's like you wanted to do the right thing, but you were working with the wrong people the whole time. And yeah. so it was kind of hard to feel bad for Clovis in the end. But, um, you know, like you said, it was a great battle scene to see the Republic come and uh, sort of liberate the that city from the Separatists. And I thought it was cool, too, when you were talking about the scene where the you see the clone pilot, like, tailing the droid fighter and taking him out. And um, I think it was the first time we've actually seen, like, the image of that screen on the targeting computer that looked a lot like the X-Wings in episode four when you see, uh, I think, either Luke or Wedge when they shoot down a TIE fighter and you see, like, the little graphic TIE fighter on the screen and it gets locked in the crosshairs and then they fire and it was, like, uh, kind of the same thing here. So that was a nice callback to the original trilogy. 
Um, and like you said, yeah, seeing Anakin and Rex taking out battle droids, seeing the clone commander Thorne and his guys all get sadly wiped out. But, uh, you know, yet another sort of heroic moment for a clone trooper. Those guys uh, always seem to get some cool action moments. So uh, that was all pretty great to see, too. Yeah, overall, for the most part, it had it all the right beats that it wanted to. I mean, like we said, the first maybe 10 minutes of the very first episode was typical like political stuff that maybe sounded a little boring, but then it picked up very nicely, I thought. And uh, going back to the whole Anakin Padme thing, that was something that was pretty unexpected for me, really, when I was watching it. I mean, their marriage almost ended, really, in this arc. I mean, it took Anakin to save her and from the... Uh, the separatist attack on Scipio with her and Clovis. So to kind of get things back together for them. But there was like <laughs> that one moment now that their marriage was almost over. Mm-hmm. And it was, I wasn't expecting that in this episode. I would just kind of ex- say like Padme to be mad at Anakin for a bit for what he did to Clovis. But first of all, I didn't think he was going to get beat up that hard by Anakin because <laughs> we just saw the few scenes from the trailer from season five, but he got taken to town, like I said, by Anakin. So she kind of had a right to do that and for them to separate. So, and Anakin agreed with it too, which was another surprising thing because you would kind of expect him to say, no, I'm sorry, we, we can make this work. But he was like, yeah, you're right. I, I over, way overreacted. So some interesting stuff to see to go along with some cool action. So overall, it was a satisfying arc for me in the end. I mean, I really didn't have too high expectations or too low. I just was looking forward to it definitely. And then I wouldn't say it exceeded him. But I guess it was just it was entertaining to me. I enjoyed it. So it wasn't on an extreme high or an extreme low. So it's kind of right in the middle as an enjoyable arc overall. Yeah. And I would say maybe I, I wouldn't really call this a gripe, but one other thing that I felt maybe didn't quite work as strongly as it could have is just, I mean, that last moment of the last episode, or I guess it wasn't the exact last moment, but when, uh, when they're on Scipio and the droid fighter crashes into Clovis's office and, you know, then like the floor slides out from under them and Padme and Clovis go, both go falling and Anakin has to like dive and save them both. And he's holding on to both of them. And he can't hold them both, and, you know, he's got to pick one over the other, and Clovis is like, you know, let me go save Padme, and he just, you know, sort of let, lets go of Anakin. I mean, we've seen that in a lot of movies before, I feel like, you know, movies and TV shows where you have two characters that you um, you kind of wish they both could live, or like you care about both characters, and, you know, it's kind of a tragic moment where one of them has to decide to sacrifice himself for the other, and... Obviously, it was it was kind of a poignant moment here, but at the same time, like I said, I never really felt that bad for Clovis. Yeah, same um, <laughs> even though like they tried to sort of paint him in a more sympathetic light, like he was he he had sort of turned back from sort of his uh, his traitorous ways that we saw in Senate Spy in season two, um, where he was kind of interested in doing the right thing and just trying to be neutral and unbiased, but at the same time, like he wasn't a bad guy like on the same level as Dooku but at the same time he's working for Dooku and thinking that he can still be fair and neutral and not just work for the separatists and I'm like well you're an idiot for thinking that so you deserve whatever you're gonna get and so uh yeah when he let himself go I wasn't like oh no Clovis I was just like well there he goes yep although it did uh, pop into my head that could of Anakin use the force really to Bring them both up if he wanted to. <laughs> I would if he much wanted more. to, yeah, being the exactly. key words there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I think he really didn't care about it falling. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, you know, and of course, Clovis is the one that's like, no, I'm sorry, Padme. Like, you know, I messed up. This is my fault. I'm the one that has to take the fall for it. Like, 
he can't save both of us, just save her, and he lets go, and Anakin would probably be like, well, you heard the man, I'm not saving him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But good thing Padme didn't question about it. How come you didn't use the force? <laughs> <laughs> it was very stressful. I couldn't concentrate. Yeah. <laughs> But then, uh, and then one other thing you mentioned too, I thought the last scene of the episode was fantastic where you see Palpatine, uh, well, I, I won't say fantastic necessarily because the one thing that kind of bugged me was everybody chanting long live the banks, you know, in the Senate, I was like, that's a little weird. Like <laughs> banks aren't something that you cheer for. This isn't a football game, but at the same time, I mean, just seeing how he sort of manipulated everything for his own ends at the end. And of course in episode three, Anakin and Obi-Wan talk about how the chancellor has been um, gathering up all this emergency power during the war and how he's promised to give it all back, but he hasn't. And that the Jedi are worried that the chancellor might have ulterior motives and that he's gaining up a lot of power for himself. We see that in action here where he's like, you know, well, it's my great, you know, I, I'm so sorry that it had to come to this, that, you know, the Republic can't afford the banks and the separatists can't pay their loans or whatever. I don't even know exactly what was going on, but he's basically like, the whole thing's a mess, so I'm going to take direct control, and it's a tragedy, and I'm going to give it all back at the end of the war, but for now, I'm just doing this because it's necessary, and it's for the good of the Republic, and everybody applauds, and you're like, he manipulated <laughs> this all along and got exactly what he wanted. I love seeing stuff like that. I always chuckle when he says those lines, like, I promise to give these powers back or control back to the Republic. Like, mm. no, you're not. <laughs> it's, just, it's awesome. I love seeing Palpatine's plans come into effect and early on. And then when you see it all come to fruition in episode three, it's like, he's so awesome. He's such an awesome bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just so good seeing all these mastermind evil plans come into fruition. Yeah. Well, not the episode evil plans, because that is the third of my three <laughs> least favorite. But... Yeah, seeing Palpatine's mastermind genius at work. You mean you didn't you didn't want to see another episode of R two and Zupio searching for another cake? <laughs> no, no, I'm not sure what was worse: the fact that they were going out to buy a cake, or the fact that while R two that while C three PO is getting tortured by Cad Bane, R two is taking a bath. <laughs> <laughs> You see, one episode wasn't enough for that storyline. That needed to be a four-part arc. <laughs> uh, well, they turned it into a three-part arc, which I uh, don't even understand in the first place. Like, Hostage Crisis was a cool episode from season one. I like that we follow it up with another episode and see what happens to Zero the Hut afterwards. But I'm like, we know Cad Bane is a you know, very resourceful and cunning bounty hunter. We don't need a whole episode knowing how he got the plans for the Senate building to be able to infiltrate it in the first place. Like that's not a giant plot hole that everybody was wondering about after season one, especially when that plot involves kidnapping R2-D2 and C-3PO while they're grocery shopping. (laughs) <sighs> but enough I was about talking that. about a four-part arc just of R2 and 3PO shopping or Coruscant. Or... Yes, I know you were. And I, I <laughs> intentionally diverted from that idea because it's horrible. See, they kind of went furniture shopping or something different than food. Oh, my gosh, Tim. <laughs> why do you do this done. to me? <laughs> <laughs> then they go to Toys R Us to get baby toys for Luke and Leia. <laughs> Uh, like what if Clone Wars stories Clone Wars <laughs> Infinities there you go <laughs> oh man okay so let's get to the Jar Jar and Mace Windu arc or as I like to call it 
Jar Jar Binks and Mace Windu play Indiana Jones. Yeah, I call it uh, Indiana Jar Jar in the Temple of Doom. <laughs> yeah, or the, in the Temple of Windu. Yeah. <laughs> Temple of Windoom. There you go. Oh, yeah, man. Talk, talk but, about, uh, like, what if Star Wars stories. This is something, just hearing it right off the bat, you think it's like a what if Star Wars story. Because you never would picture, at least for me, an episode with Jar Jar and Mace Windu teaming up. But... As we'll talk about, it ended up working pretty darn well. <laughs> I have to say, these were probably my favorite Jar Jar episodes of the whole Clone Wars series, which for some people might not be saying a whole lot because, I mean, we've talked about before how, you know, there's the B.J. Hughes disaster from season one and, uh, you know, sometimes where Jar Jar has just been really annoying. But, and I generally liked him in Bombad Jedi. I liked him in... Shadow Warrior, I liked him in Gungan Attacks, so I mean, I, I think they've had oh, and Supply Lines too, I think was a good use of the characters, so I've liked in general, at least with his last few appearances, I've liked Jar Jar on the show but um, I think with the with the comedic elements here, and also with teaming him up with Mace Windu, it added for you know, all, all that came together to make for some, some great humor um, just with Jar Jar himself, some great humorous interplay between those two characters, and then also just some great action moments. And, oh man, just the whole episode, I mean, both of these episodes were just a ton of fun. And, um, yeah, kind of almost unexpected how much I liked these episodes. It was just really entertaining from start to finish. Yeah, you said the keyword there, fun. That's what they were. I mean, like you said, not being the biggest Jar Jar fan, just right off the bat, looking forward to Jar Jar episodes, not something with like, oh, I can't wait to see this arc right away. It was like, okay, let's see and see how it is. But yeah, it turned out to be really entertaining, really funny too. And I've heard several people say this, that this is probably the best use of Jar Jar throughout the whole saga, really. And I would agree with that. I was actually laughing with him and not at him. <laughs> like the stuff that were tended to be funny, yeah, was actually funny. I always cracked the one that cracked me up was right when he enters that uh, temple and they hit the big gong and it scares them. And they <laughs> yeah. keep doing it. <laughs> but yeah. another thing that I really liked about this episode was just the setup was how um we got to go to that planet uh Bardota, I believe. And the species there was that they're force sensitive but they're not part of the Jedi and the Sith. And I just liked how in the very beginning, Mace Windu gives the explanation of how, yeah, they don't really look favor the Jedi at all because they just view us as baby snatchers and they just have a different view or philosophy of using the force and they really don't like us there. And I just like that aspect of them not trusting an actual Jedi who knows how to use the force, but yet they're trusting Jar Jar just because him and the Queen had a past relationship. So I just like that we got to know about a new species that's force sensitive and have their own um, I guess religion, you can kind of say of how to use the force. That's different from the Jedi. So I just love the whole setup for that and getting to get these episodes started. I thought was a pretty cool way to set it all up. Yeah, that was pretty interesting, especially because I think we talked about on our last episode how one of our listeners had posted on our Facebook page some speculation that maybe one of the planets that Yoda goes to in the Yoda arc that we had seen in the trailer might be the planet Voss from the Old Republic. And I had talked about that and how the the people of Voss are just they're they're force users, but they're just sort of these mystics who have visions and try to you know use the force to see the future and um, are just sort of you know in tune with sort of like the more mystical energy part of the force, but they don't 
fight with lightsabers. They don't um, sort of, you know, use force pushes or force chokes or anything or sort of train in the force like we see the Jedi or the Sith do. And it was interesting that actually these people on Bardota sort of fit that bill, um, although they don't look anything like them, but um, just in the way that they use the Force for different, uh, you know, sort of different purposes and learn it in a different way than the Jedi and the Sith do, it uh, was kind of similar. But also, just speaking of comic relief, um, I thought it was an interesting choice to have, obviously, this whole sort of at least the whole diplomacy aspect of this you know the reason why Jar Jar and Mace Windu go to this planet be that Jar Jar had a past relationship with this queen and <laughs> it was one of those ideas that at first you're like oh really like the this whole episode is going to revolve around like Jar Jar's romantic relationship and at first it was like this could be bad you know <laughs> this is going to be bomb bad trouble um, <laughs> but then it ended up I thought actually being pretty funny um, and when I was talking about earlier how there was some adult stuff in these episodes that I was like, wow, would they have allowed this on Cartoon Network? I mean, there was all the brain tumor extractions and stuff in the Order 66 arc. And then in this arc, there was kind of a couple of innuendos that I was like, wow, would they allow this on Cartoon <laughs> Network like in a kid's show? Um, yeah, they were kind of subtle, but at the same time, it's like if you're an adult, you're not really going to miss these. There was one where... When when Jar Jar kisses the queen for the first time, or I guess the queen comes up and kisses him, and you just see Jar Jar kind of go all, you know, <laughs> sort of limp, goofy Jar Jar thing. And then his ears start raising up on the back of his head, and I don't need to say any more about that, but I was just like, um, okay. <laughs> uh, and then when uh, he says, or I think um, maybe like the next day or something, Mace Windu comes and finds him. And he's like, where were you all last night? And he's like, what? Misa loving the queen. What's wrong with that? I'm like, well, okay then. We just went there on Clone Wars, ladies and gentlemen. And of all characters, Jar Jar Big. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh man, I mean, there was uh, so much stuff. I watched this episode actually twice. I watched it by myself and then um, I watched it again with a couple of friends, including uh, Jason Hunt from the Wampus Lair podcast, who's been on here before, and with my dad, who's also a Star Wars fan. And we were just having a ton of fun laughing at this. I mean, I think I probably enjoyed watching it the second time with those guys more than I did the first time myself, just because they were cracking up at some lines that I, you know, laughed at the first time, but maybe didn't even laugh that hard at. But, uh, I mean, there's the part where Jarter's like, you know, oh, it's okay, the queen trusted Misa, and now Yusa, a little bit. <laughs> you know, just so many funny lines where there was just some comic timing in there that I was like, well, if we're going to get another two Jar Jar episodes in the final 13 episodes of Clone Wars, which I'm sure was probably not high on most people's wish lists, it's like, we definitely got some of Jar Jar's best material. And I think my actually my favorite Jar Jar moment was in the second episode when they uh, when Jar Jar and Mace Windu get in their shuttle and go to uh, you know the other planet where they're tracking the Queen to, and they land and Jar Jar's like okay come on let's go and Mace is oh, yeah. like you know calm yourself we gotta you know be patient and use the Force and know where we're going and Jar Jar's acting all impatient and like bouncing around like a little kid and then uh, you know Mace Windu's just like sit down stop moving. And uh, I thought it was also funny the whole time Jar Jar calls him Master and Mace. So he's oh, like, okay, day, Master and Mace. And he just like sits down in the chair all grumpy. And Mace is like, okay. And, you know, he closes his eyes, he's like sensing with the force. He's like, I see buildings, streets, 
people and George is like, yep, Misa can see that from here too. <laughs> that actually might have been the funniest George line ever. <laughs> it might be. It very well might be. <laughs> like I said too, I love him calling Mace when you mastering Mace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just an awesome nickname that only he would use. <laughs> yeah, like, but you – who would have thought that him and Mace Windu would have this like good chemistry together? It just works so well. It was funny because after these episode airs, I forget where I saw it. I think it was a tweet or something. Someone said like, uh, instead of taking uh, the Jedi Council with them to capture Palpatine, Mace Windu took Jar Jar. So they <laughs> <work> so <well laughs> together. Oh my gosh, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what I loved about it too, though it actually at least for me, sort of informed Mace Windu's character a little bit more because you see him as just sort of like kind of the hardened Jedi, just sort of like the no-nonsense, you know, the guy that would almost be like a drill sergeant type. Yeah. Um, just because of the way that he's so sort of harsh towards Anakin sometimes. That I sort of predicted that this whole story arc, he would just be like rolling his eyes at Jar Jar and getting so fed up with his antics and everything. And you can tell Jar Jar tests his patience at times, but... At the same time, the way that he deals with it and he's always just sort of patient with him and, you know, you, he might have like an expression on his face that says, oh, I can't believe I have to deal with this guy. But then he'll stop and explain something to him without sounding exasperated or anything like that. And it's like, well, he actually is a pretty calm and patient Jedi master who can, you know, be able to put up with Jar Jar's antics without banging his head against the wall. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was a nice surprise, really, when you saw that. Cause I had the same expectations that uh, you were talking about right there. But another thing that I really liked, too, was the action sequences that they had in these two episodes are really cool, especially when they're in that temple. I mean, <laughs> let's just face it, it was pretty much directly taken from Temple of Doom. And mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with it. It was like a cool uh, nod to it. But Mace Windu had some like, pretty cool action sequences in there, the way he was taking out those... Uh, that cult and then just catching their spears and using their spears against them and doing all these cool acrobatic moves that weren't really over the top like we saw them in the Gendi series on that mm-hmm. episode where he was on yeah. Tatooine. It was just was pretty much what you expect of a well-experienced Jedi to do. But I will say, too, I also liked how Jar Jar was handled in those fights, even in part two. Usually the way he takes out enemies is by accident. And that happened maybe once or twice here, but he actually punch some of those uh, cult members <laughs> intentionally and actually stopped them. But I was actually, finally, he's contributing to the fight without causing uh, trouble and just by accident. So I really like that aspect too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely cool to be reminded of, uh, of how cool and how powerful Mace Windu is just as a fighter. I mean, when, uh, when Anakin's talking about Obi-Wan in episode two and describing him to Padme, he says he's as wise as Master Yoda and as powerful as Master Windu. So, you know, Mace Windu is definitely one of the most powerful Jedi in the Order and one of the sort of more skilled fighters. So it was really cool to be able to see that here, especially in the fight when he loses his lightsaber um, in the fight in the temple when, you know, then he like takes one of the guy's spears and he's fighting them with that and, um, you know, shoving all the guys down the sca- down the staircase and everything. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, as soon as they went in that temple, it's like, oh, OK, yeah, this is Temple of Doom. And then pretty much the entire second episode was almost like Raiders of the Lost Ark from start to finish. Like, you know, they're in this dusty, small town that looks like it could be somewhere in the Middle East in the desert. And, you know, it's just like one chase sequence after another until they end up in this shrine out in the middle of the desert that ends with this big explosion of energy. I'm like, 
yeah, this feels like exactly like an Indiana Jones movie, but with Mace Windu and Jar Jar in it instead. And it was just hugely entertaining. And I think part, probably maybe two other moments that would rank really high on my, on my uh, favorites list of like top Jar Jar lines or top Jar Jar moments from the whole Star Wars saga is um, when they go to the that shrine and there's like those stone golems or whatever that come to life and start fighting them and uh, Mace slices one of their arms off and it's like this laser cannon yeah. <laughs> and Jar Jar picks it up and uses it to like fry a bunch of them and Mace turns around like expecting to have to save Jar Jar and instead he sees him <laughs> standing there like in front of a whole bunch of dead guards and he's like, Master and Mace, look, Mace have found a big bang boom gun! <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, and but actually then, seen him use it to take out the that shrine when the queen was on it. He didn't miss or he didn't fire it by accident, but he was intended to use it to <laughs> what he wanted to use it for. So like, yeah, that's and, the stuff I wanted to see for a long time with Charger. It made him more tolerable or <laughs> it's not just a goofy, clumsy guy getting away with things by accident. So I just like I said before, I just really liked how he was handled that way. Yeah, and at the same time there definitely was still that sort of goofy, clumsy aspect yeah. to him where, you know, he would he would aim the gun at the enemies and like intend to use it on them. And then he'd fire it and the recoil would almost knock him off his feet. And he'd be like, Wah! and you know, <laughs> spin around and like barely stay standing. It's like, it's still Jar Jar Binks, but he's not being, you know, like you said, completely just like sort of clumsy and out of his element. But the other, uh, the other part that I absolutely loved was when Mace is uh, fighting the dude who's like a beast trainer or something that summons these two Gundarks. And, uh, then, you know, Mace like loses his lightsaber and this guy's got, oh, a yeah. whip. And, you know, as if we needed another Indiana Jones nod, the guy pulls out a whip and you know, wraps it around Mace's lightsaber and pulls it away from him. And so May- while Mace is fighting these two Gundarks barehanded, Jar Jar goes and starts fighting with this other guy and manages to get a hold of Mace's lightsaber. Or it's like the lightsaber rolls away. Jar Jar sticks his tongue out yeah. and <laughs> gets the lightsaber into his mouth. And then like with the lightsaber in his mouth, it's like, Master and Mace! And then spits it at him. And I'm like... Oh, that was great. Yeah. Oh, man. It was just one of those things. Again, one of those things you would never expect to see. And if someone described it to you, you might just think that sounds really stupid, but you see it and they just pulled it off so well. And it was hilarious. Yeah. But all worked great too. <laughs> like I said, you're laughing with it and not at it. Cause Oh, this is so stupid, but it just actually worked at being real funny. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, um, you know, seeing mother towels in there at the end, we don't get to see a whole lot of her in these episodes, but it turns out that she was the one sort of behind this whole thing with the, these mystics from Bardota being abducted and, then these cultists trying to like steal their force energy because mother Talzin wanted to combine their natural force energy with her dark magic and become more powerful than the Jedi and the Sith. So it was just sort of a little interlude for her, I guess, because usually we've always seen her storylines connected with Darth Maul or Asajj Ventress. Um, and this was just sort of almost a little aside of like, well, what does mother Talzin do on her spare time? She exactly, kidnaps yeah. Queens of force sensitive planets and just tries to get more power for herself. Um, but the fight between her and Mace Windu was pretty cool, even though it was pretty short. Like she basically summoned this green fiery magic sword out of thin air, just like she summons, uh, Savage's big spear, um, you know, with her magic in the episode monster in season three, when, you know, they first transform him into like the big hulking brute. So she just pulls this really cool, cool looking weapon out of thin air and then starts fighting Mace Windu with his lightsaber with it. Um, so yeah, that was a really cool fight scene. And, 
you know, then of course the episode ends with Jar Jar destroying the orb that she's gathered all this force energy in, and then she sort of gets mad and just disappears and, you know, is like mad that her plans have been ruined. And Jar Jar and Mace Windu and the Queen ride off on their you know, alien beasts off into the sunset in a shot that looks exactly like the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So, <laughs> yeah, like, how awesome would it be that the, somewhere in the episode or how it ended, Jar Jar and Jar Jar and Mace Windu ship, there's like a fedora <laughs> somewhere in there. <laughs> he picks it up and puts it on. <laughs> that was the only Indiana Jones reference missing. Yeah, but, although uh, they did have that in uh, season four, I think. In That's true, episode, yeah, yeah in the episode where obi-wan goes undercover with cad bane and um they bust out of prison so cad bane needs a new hat and they're in like this bounty hunter shop and he's looking at all this armor and stuff and he like picks up a fedora and just puts it back down yeah that's right so but going back to mother Towson, i was kind of surprised i don't want to say disappointed because i know this wasn't their intention of her being her final appearance but this i guess surprised that like you said, it was a side story featuring her. It was because we've seen her in some pretty big events throughout the Clone Wars series, and there were pretty uh, d- big changes that happened in the Star Wars saga, like Savage Press bringing back Darth Maul and Asajj Venture. She's connected to all those characters. So to see her just kind of being in this filler storyline was a little, uh, I would say, a little strange just because. Like I said, it's hard to complain about it because we know that it wasn't intended to be her last episode, but this is her last episode. It was just a little weird seeing it for me, like her last appearance in the Clone Wars was something that really doesn't have a big effect on the grand scheme of Star Wars stuff. So I'm always picturing her last, uh, well, I can't say appearance in the Clone Wars now, but her last story, I should say, would be Palp- Palpatine trying to deal with her in some way because she might be the last threat in his big plans that he has to take care of. and. Maybe we'll see that in the Darth Maul comic coming up, but as far as the actual series goes, this is it for her. So this felt a little strange seeing her in an episode that really didn't have that big of ramifications out in the Star Wars galaxy. So I don't know. That's maybe one little nitpick I have with this one. Yeah, well, again, that didn't bother me too much because, like you said, it obviously wasn't intended to be her last appearance. Um, And I thought her role within this story worked pretty well, even though, like I said, we didn't really see much of her, but... Um, I felt like it was a pretty good use of the character, and obviously we were going to see more. In fact, if you read the episode description, or the episode guide for this episode on StarWars.com, it says something along the lines of, um, you know, her story will continue, or this isn't the last time we'll see of Mother Talzin or something. Which makes me wonder, like, was this episode guide written before... Um, you know, before the show got canceled, or does this mean that we will see her make an appearance in the Darth Maul comic that's coming out? Or, you know, maybe they have plans that they haven't revealed yet for some of the, you know, to get out some of the other story arcs. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll see her again at some point in a comic or something else like that. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be wrapped up in that comic. (laughs) Since yeah. I don't know if they'll be, she'll be able to fit any way to Rebels. So, like <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think that. so. Yeah. But, yeah, hopefully she'll be in that comic storyline. But, okay, Tim, I know you've been waiting for this for weeks and months <laughs> oh, and yeah. been eagerly anticipating with bated breath. So let's finish this out and talk about the Yoda story arc. Did it live up to your extremely high expectations? Oh, I I can't say it lived up to my expectations. I will say it surpassed my expectations. <laughs> I mean, 
and that's something that rarely happens to me but man boy did this deliver wow i mean i don't even know where to begin with how awesome this art was it's just um i know this wasn't the intended to be the final arc story arc we would see in the clone wars but man it was almost a near perfect way to end it in my opinion it was just fantastic we got some great insights of the forest to yoda qui-gon and sifo diaz and Man, I guess that'd be the first place to start with the first episode, the last one with Sifo Diaz. Yeah, and you see, I'm glad you mentioned that because I almost completely skipped over it because I keep <laughs> thinking of this episode as separate from the rest of the arc because the the last one really doesn't focus on Yoda and doesn't really relate to the other three episodes in the arc except that it almost is sort of the catalyst for it yeah, exactly. in the sense that you know, they find out some stuff about Sifidius and Dooku and stuff in this episode. And then the next episode just sort of starts off with like, they're talking about this in the Jedi council and deciding what to do about it. And then Yoda starts hearing voices and goes off on a completely different story. But yeah, I mean, we can talk about this one first. Um, I don't know. I guess I would say I was maybe slightly underwhelmed by this episode, just because I feel like we didn't learn a whole lot of new information um, it seemed like sort of the one big reveal of the episode was the Jedi finding out that Count Dooku was Darth Tyrannus. Exactly. Because... It was more like we're finding out, the Jedi finding out about the stuff we somewhat knew already. Yeah, and this is something that we've known for so long as fans. Like, as soon as uh, Obi-Wan was like, Dooku, you're Tyrannus? And I was like, oh, wait, we didn't know, like, they didn't know that? I forgot that they didn't know that because we've known it for so yeah. long. Um, so it was like, okay, well, it's nice that they finally figured that out, but to have that sort of be like the climax of the episode, it was like, okay, well, we already knew that. Um, it was nice that they sort of expanded on the Sifo-Dyas story a little bit where, um, they sort of gave you some more details about how he died, I guess. And so, um, and sort of some things that I've pieced together, I mean, they don't really say this specifically in the episode, but they say that like he went to investigate the pikes and then the pikes were hired by tyrannus to shoot him down and he was supposed to um go from you know investigating this drug syndicate or whatever with the pikes to go to felucia and help solve a rebellion there or you know an uprising or something like that and the official record kind of states that he died on felucia because things got out of hand and he got killed in the middle of this civil war but then people were saying there was another jedi there and the chancellor was like no there was no other jedi it was just him so basically the way i pieced it together is that um yeah dooku hired the pikes to shoot down sifidius's ship and kill him and then dooku just took his body to felucia and just sort of planted it in the middle of this battle and made it look like oh well he was supposed to be here nobody knows that he got killed by the pikes and so um, you know, I'm just going to leave his body here. Nobody knows that I'm here and it's just going to look to the rest of the galaxy like he just got killed tragically in the middle of the Civil War, especially because they made a point of saying that the Felucians were this sort of primitive native tribe who couldn't really, you know, they were speaking an ancient dialect that Obi-Wan could only understand some of. And so it's like, yeah, he's not, they're not really going to be able to communicate this to the rest of the galaxy. So my tracks are going to be covered, blah, blah, blah. Um and then, of course, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin going to get answers from this guy, Silman, who was like the Chancellor's aide, who was with Sifo-Dyas the whole time, and he's gone mad, and then Dooku kills him before we can really get any real answers out of him. 
So I feel like we didn't learn any, like, huge new details that we didn't know before about the whole Sifidius incident, but um, it did, you know, shed a little bit more light on that and give a few more details, just um, nothing groundbreaking, I guess. Well, it did raise a new question for me that I had, then it kind of changes certain things. I don't know if you thought of it this way, but to me I did, because when they were Obi-Wan and Anakin were questioning Stillman before Dooku kills them, he says um, there was someone who wanted Sifo-Dyas dead who was more powerful so that he could steal his identity. So when I heard that, I was like, okay, so maybe Sifo-Dyas had nothing to do with the clone army and placing the order. Uh, Dooku just used the name, his name, Sifo-Dyas, to place that order so he can hide his tracks. And I was always under the assumption that Sifo-Dyas was close with Dooku and then he followed him once he left. Sifo-Dyas left the Jedi Order, then he followed Dooku and then... Uh, under Duke Cruz's orders, he placed the order for the clones. But it turns out in this episode that wasn't the case. Or that's how I took it, that Duke just used his name to do that, and he was never really part of their plan or had anything to do with the clones. Did you ever think that, and did you feel that way once you saw this episode? Well, I had that thought as I was watching the episode, because, yeah, there's a line where um, he says something like, you know, there was someone more powerful who wanted Sifo-Dyas dead, and Obi-Wan is like, well, you know, why would they want that? And he's like, don't you see? Because he wanted to be Sifo-Dyas, and yeah. that's when Dooku starts choking him, they don't get anything more out of him. Um, and so I was, I thought about that, I was like, wait, so does that mean that Dooku just killed Sifo-Dyas and used his name to order the clone army? Except that we just saw in the Order 66 arc that Dooku is in contact with the Kaminoans, and they know him as Tyrannus. So why would he need to create another alias to place the order for the clone army? Well, I think it would probably be so the Jedi don't realize that if it's that it could be a Sith and they under the assumption that it was one of their own, so maybe it's easier for them to accept it or not, because if, if it's from someone named Tyrannus and then well so they find out that Tyrannus is a Sith here, they don't really know the other Sith Lord's name. So yeah, I just think he just wanted to make it where it looked like it did come from someone within the Jedi so they could be more trusting, I think, to the clones or to the whole situation, I guess. Because now, you know, sifo never really left the Jedi Order or anything. He was he was just killed in action, pretty much. So maybe he just wanted to have that, to have it be a real Jedi who placed that order for the sake of, I guess, covering up his tracks and not revealing that it's from a Sith Lord. Yeah, possibly. But then also, I mean, Dooku does say, I think when he's, fighting Anakin and Obi-Wan, he says something about, like, you know, sifo helped me because he saw that this conflict was coming or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I was always under the impression that sifo just went along with Dooku, especially when they say at the beginning of the episode that he used to be on the Jedi Council and they kicked him off because he had these radical beliefs that the galaxy was going to be engulfed in this great conflict and that um, the, the Republic needed to raise an army. So he certainly seems like someone who would go along with Dooku. Now, you could also say that Dooku just used that to his advantage and that the reason he killed Sifo-Dyas and used his name was because, like, the Jedi would believe that not just a Jedi placed that order, but that sifo specifically would be, you know, seem like a Jedi who would be likely to go behind their backs and order the creation of an army without the Jedi's consent. The yeah. way I've always seen it, and I think, you know, I've sort of gathered bits and pieces of this over the years from different EU books and things that I've read online and things like that. But basically what I've read was that, um, you know, Dooku was in the Jedi order and sort of starting to lose faith in them and all this kind of stuff, but not, hadn't actually like 
fully turned to the dark side and left the Jedi Order yet when Palpatine came and contacted him and was basically sort of preying on this Jedi who he knew had sort of mistrust within the Jedi Order and was like, okay, I'm going to use this guy for my own purposes. Um, and so, you know, they talked about creating the clone army and all this kind of stuff. And then Dooku got Sifo-Dyas in on it because Sifo-Dyas was also sort of like-minded and uh, I guess was a friend to Dooku and, you know, they both sort of conspired to create this clone army and everything. Um, and then I guess after, you know, one thing that I read was like after Qui-Gon died in episode one, because that was one of the things that, uh, or, you know, Duke, Dooku was Qui-Gon's former master and like they were close. And so even though he didn't trust a lot of the other Jedi, he trusted Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon's death was one of the things that finally sort of pushed him over the edge yeah. to leave the Jedi Order. Um, join Sidious and become a Sith Lord and that uh, Sidious sort of, almost as a rite of passage like his final act as a Jedi was to kill Sifo-Dyas and cover up this whole thing with the clone army um, and sort of prove his loyalty to Sidious by killing his Jedi friend and so that was sort of the always the assumption I operated under um, and there was nothing really in this episode that I feel contradicts that, except like you said, the, the line where he says, you know, don't you see, because someone wanted to be Sifides, but then he never really gets to elaborate on that. So it's like, well, am I looking into it too much because I've, you know, read all this stuff beforehand. And, you know, the simple answer is that Dooku just used Sifides' name to create this army or, you know, is there more to it? And we just still don't have all the answers yet. Yeah, I mean, I remember the EU story in the Star Wars Visionary comic where they actually still have Sifo-Dyas's body <laughs> in, like, Dooku still has it, like, frozen or something. And even there are some illustrations of it that have him, like, that show him having Sifo-Dyas's body still. So that's probably not in canon anymore. But <laughs> um, I will say, though, there was one thing that I think was awesome, but at the same time, a small nitpick that I have was the final lightsaber battle between Dooku, Obi-Wan, and Anakin. That was an awesome lightsaber battle, seeing them use the force the way they did <laughs> against each other. But then, let's go back to that point where uh, the line in episode three, this time we'll take them together. Mm. Well, for all fans who watch the Clone Wars and the or Star Wars fans who are going to watch the movies, this is the last battle that they had together <laughs> with Dooku. And they both took him together. There was no one rushing and charging him <laughs> that caused them to uh, have a disadvantage. But now, <laughs> it's like, this feels a little... Um, I want to say wrench into the whole line that Obi-Wan gave in episode three because this is the last time they fought together. But I know it's intended to be for a general audience who are only watching the movies to refer, refer back to episode two. But for diehard Star Wars fans, that's just like a little thing that's going to bug me when I hear that line. Like, oh, the last battle, you did take him together. So Yeah, yeah. And for me, it's not even the line where he says, this time we'll do it together. But it's Anakin's line where he says, you know, my powers have doubled since the last that's time we met too. Count. Yeah. Because... I don't know if Anakin's powers have definitely doubled from the time of episode two to episode three, but obviously he's gone from a Padawan to a Jedi Knight. He's been fighting across the galaxy in this huge war and, you know, won all these heroic victories. So he's definitely more powerful and more prestigious as a Jedi Knight than he, you know, in episode three than he was in episode two. So even if he hasn't quite doubled his power, like he's definitely become more powerful and, you know, he's, obviously sort of boasting and sort of trying to just threaten Dooku. But at the same time, it's like, he's got some stuff to back that up. But now that we've seen them fight, like, you know, we, we don't really know exactly when the Clone Wars is supposed to end and how close the events we're seeing in season six, like how close that was to what happens in Revenge of the Sith. Obviously it's a lot closer to Revenge of the Sith 
than the events of episode two are. So it's a much shorter window for Anakin to supposedly double his power since the last time they've met to the point where now it's like, yeah, you're not that much more powerful. You're just boasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, regardless, this is still a pretty cool battle sequence or lightsaber duel. So <laughs> yeah. experience. And Especially scene, when, uh, once Dooku like escapes on the ship Yeah, and I'm thinking, Oh, okay. The, battle's over now you know he stepped off the edge of this platform and he's flying away on our cruiser and that's it you know he's gonna get away and instead anakin just tell or obi-wan tells anakin he's like i'll give you a push and then he uses the force yeah, to like that was awesome. fling yeah. anakin up onto the ship and they keep fighting i'm like whoa that's pretty cool yeah i loved it i mean i, I could live with that small nitpick that i have to experience the cool lightsaber battle like that <laughs> yeah and then, okay, this is the one other episode that I was talking about as far as the adult themes in these episodes. When Anakin and Obi-Wan first get to this planet where they're investigating the Pikes who are, you know, these spice dealers. And spice is basically the Star Wars equivalent of drugs, um, at least in the EU. And now we've got it here in the in the Clone Wars series. I don't know if they even specifically mention it in the movies, but it's not the first time they've mentioned it in the Clone Wars. Because obviously we have these same Pike spice dealers in uh sort of being part of Darth Maul's criminal empire in season five. But when they first walk into, you know, sort of the hall or whatever of this guy's base or lab or whatever you want to call it, you see like a Twi'lek and a Togruta, you know, looking like slave girls or whatever. And they're just sort of like lying on some dude's lap with like glazed looks on their faces. <laughs> I'm like, these people are obviously on drugs and then they get to, like, the leader of the Pike Syndicate, and he's, you know, blowing orange smoke out of his mouth, which could be, you know, the Star Wars version of weed or something. I'm like, wow, this is, like, well, a wretched hive of scum and villainy, for one thing, but I cannot imagine seeing this on Cartoon Network on Saturday morning. I know, really, even if they had to edit it, like, they do some of the stuff to be put on the Blu-ray, that would have been a lot to edit out, too. <laughs> like, it would have seemed choppy, almost. yeah. But yeah, that's interesting that <laughs> you bring that out. But yeah, it's right there. Yeah, so it was – and yeah, like I said, it was pretty obvious too. It's not like these people are in the background. Like as Anakin and Obi-Wan are walking by, you see like a close-up shot of these two girls yeah. who are like clearly high. So I was like – on the one hand, it was kind of cool to see them just sort of expanding the Star Wars universe like that. It's like, oh, wow, we've never seen that before. But at the same time, it's like, were you guys planning to show that on Cartoon Network? Because <laughs> I don't know how that would have gone over with some people. Yeah, but another cool thing that I like seeing it was a small scene, but uh, seeing Chancellor Valorum again because of uh, having Yoda trying to piece together what uh, he sent Sifo Dias on that mission against the Pikes. But uh, I just thought it was a nice throwback to Phantom Menace to see him there. And it might cause some problems with some uh, EU fans out there because in the Dark Horse comics, I believe uh, Palpatine had Valorum killed where it looked like his ship blew up and it looked like an assassination attempt on him. But yeah. as you see here, he's alive. So, <laughs> And this is, of course, the main canon to go by. But I just thought it was kind of cool to see him again. Yeah, and of course, I've read that comic. And so my first instinct when I saw this episode and Palpatine said, uh, you know, go talk to Chancellor Valorum, my first thought was like, whoa, Valorum's still alive? Yeah. Well, okay, <laughs> you, know, well, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I know they're not going to go by every comic and stuff, so let's see how it goes. And then I was like, well, what if, you know, as part of this whole cover-up, to you know cover up the the Sifo-Dyas plot and the creation of the clone army and everything maybe we're gonna see Valorum bite the dust in this episode but no he just kind of explained some things to Yoda to move the plot along and then you know nothing really happened to him but it was kind of interesting to see him again yeah yeah and so this is 
I know this is kind of considered to be part of the four-part Yoda arc, and this is pretty much Yoda's only scene in it. And of course, we see him in the Jedi uh, Temple too, but this is what kicks off him to need to meditate more, and that kicks us off into the three part, main three parts of the Yoda arc. And man, and the first scene we get is him, that preview clip, we got a Qui-Gon, and I just love that scene, <laughs> seeing it again on the, how the episode started in Voices, and then seeing how Yoda's questioning himself, am I going crazy? How is this possible? And how even the Jedi Council was noticing Yoda's acting different. And this, it is funny to me seeing Yoda not pay attention to one of the Jedi Council meetings. Like, he's like, huh, what? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, man, you never see Yoda like that. Even Obi-Wan and Mace Windu are like, yeah, this is weird to see Yoda act like this. And Obi-Wan even had the line was like, we're just surprised to see that Yoda is the wisest of them all, of us all as Jedi. And it's like, maybe we just didn't want to think that he could succumb to the effects of the war. And it looks like that's what's happening to him. So it's like surprising everybody on that front. I just thought that was really cool to see. And then the scene too, where he's trying to get all the members of the Jedi Council to see if they can hear the voice too. And we got that cool little sequence where we get the exterior shot of the Jedi Temple and we see in it day turn into night and then back into day again. This makes me question, man, how long were they meditating in there? <laughs> just yeah. trying to hear this voice. I just thought that was really cool and it's a great way to kick off this amazing arc. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. I mean, it, that shot was only like a couple of seconds, but where you just see the exterior of the Jedi Temple and then you see like all the cars start moving really fast yeah. until it's like blurs of light and then it gets dark and it gets light again. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of just supposed to be their way of showing that maybe the the whole Jedi council just spent like a whole day in there meditating with Yoda. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a, a really cool little shot to see there. And I think probably one of my, whole, one of my favorite parts of this whole story arc, um, maybe just like my favorite theme throughout the whole thing is that we see Yoda actually like learning and developing as a character, which yes. you never see because he's always like the wise old mentor. And you would think he doesn't have anything else to learn because he's been studying the ways of the Jedi for 900 years. And you see here that he can, like at first, of course, you know, you hear Spygon's voice. He's like, wait, how is this even possible? Like you're not supposed to be able to return from the dead or, you know, you, the Jedi all think that you lose your consciousness after death and that there's no way to like retain your individuality once you join with the force. And so Qui-Gon's teaching him about that. And then, um, you know, these priestesses that send him on these trials and he has to like face his dark side and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, you see Yoda sort of realizing things about himself and, and sort of growing as a character. But just going back to the first episode, I mean, obviously we see the scene where we had seen the preview clip where, um, you know, he gets Anakin to help him break out of the hospital in the Jedi Temple and, uh, you know, go off to uh, Dagobah after he has a vision where Qui-Gon tells him to go there. And again, I just love the sort of interaction between Anakin and Yoda and Yoda just sort of being that mischievous little imp that we see when Luke first meets him at the beginning of, or, you know, first meets him in uh, Empire Strikes Back where, um, you know, he's just got that sort of knowing gleam in his eye and he's wise and at the same time, like, he's just causing trouble and he's like, you know, get me out of here. And, you know, it's like, um, I, I love even the, like the first line of that scene where he's just like, he sounds completely serious, but he's like, do something for me. You must leave. You will be, I fear for you. You know, he's like, what? And he's like, help me to escape. 
and even before that too i like the first conversation he had with anakin when they're out in like the jedi garden area and he even uh because we were suspected too that oh this might tie into mortis in some way and yoda actually uh brings that up saying to anakin you talked to qui-gon on mortis didn't you but then we finally kind of got the what anakin obi-wan and ahsoka attributed with the whole experience of mortis to this is the thing to thinking that it was something played out in their heads as visions and that it wasn't really real. And they just pretty much dismiss it as that. I liked how that kind of explained too, where when we first saw the Mortis arc, we kind of questioned, well, how come Obi-Wan looked so surprised in Revenge of the Sith when Yoda tells him that he's communing with Qui-Gon and it was like a big shock to him. And that kind of gives us the reason why, where Obi-Wan really didn't believe it and just attributed it to like a vision or a dream or something. I just love the callback to that, that they're, Having these little, putting these little pieces together that are going to fit down the line in this arc that Yoda's about to go through. So I love that callback. And then I love, too, also when he goes into that uh, deprivation ritual in the tank and how when he goes in there, he's getting another vision from Qui-Gon, and that's where he tells him to go to Dagobah. But I like how Qui-Gon goes, no, you're not supposed to find out this way. You have to experience it through the Force, not through this uh, ritual. And then that's where Yoda decides to go to Dagobah. And... And that's where I can't decide what moments are my favorite from this arc, but seeing Yoda on Dagobah for the first time is pretty high up there. I mean, I had a big old smile on my face about that whole sequence. It was just awesome seeing him go there, questioning Qui-Gon about it. Like, what is this place? Like, it's strong. Like, Qui-Gon said it's one of the most, like, natural planets out there that's with the Force. And it just makes you, now it gives you the reason why Yoda chose to go to Dagobah in his exile. I just love that. And then they have to get the awesome moment where he goes into the cave or I didn't read anything on StarWars.com that said, oh, this isn't the same cave that Yoda, that Luke went into and everybody tracked back. So I'm attributing it to being the same cave. And it was just awesome. He had an awesome vision, almost right up there to what Anakin had on Mortis. I think the one Anakin had on Mortis was a little more cooler for me just because we actually saw Darth Vader in that vision. Oh, but yeah, definitely. This one was pretty cool, too, to see moments from Revenge of the Sith when we see them fighting clones, which really didn't happen in the movie, but we do clearly see Palpatine killing Kit Fisto and some of the other Jedi in there. And then I just loved how we see the image of Sidious come up. And he just kept saying, Sidious, Sidious, Sidious. And this is what we know where Yoda learns the name of the Sith Lord, Sidious, because in episode three, he knows he calls him Sidious when he meets him, but it never really was explained. How did he get to know his name? I don't think. Well, don't they say it in? Uh, I thought they said it in episode two. Did they? When um, when Dooku's got Obi Wan held hostage, and he says, you know, he's telling him like that hundreds of senators are now under the influence oh, of a Sith Lord. Right, I'm yeah. pretty sure he says a Sith Lord named Darth okay. Sidious. Yeah, you're right. Okay, darn. I thought I had another cool connection to that, but <laughs> <laughs> either way, it was still a cool scene nonetheless to see him actually see like he's trying to find out who the Sith Lord is and it, like it's right there but he can't actually see it and he even ask Qui-Gon like do you know who the Sith Lord is and Qui-Gon's like no but like I'm only here in the present I can't like tell you about the past the future or anything like that so man that first see it technically it's the second part of this four-part arc but it was one of my favorite moments of seeing him on Dagobah it was just handled awesome and <laughs> just seeing Qui-Gon there having Liam Neeson back explaining everything to him it was just done perfectly i just love that whole sequence on dagobah yeah i think man like you said it's hard to pick a favorite moment from this whole story arc but i think after watching it again 
I think that probably is my favorite moment because like you said, I just had a whole a, a smile on my face through that whole time. Just, I mean, it was cool when he goes into the cave and has the vision and everything, but just the, the imagery and everything. And I love the music too, where they're yes. using a lot of, um, you know, the classic Yoda's theme from Empire Strikes Back as he's just walking along. Well, it's pretty much from the moment he lands his ship on Dagobah and R2 is kind of like afraid of what's out there and does his little shake and beeping thing that just sort of really reminded me of the him having like a similar reaction to landing on Dagobah with Luke in Empire Strikes Back. But then you've got Yoda just like walking along on Dagobah with the Yoda theme playing, following these little mystical balls of light as Qui-Gon Jinn's voice is explaining the force to him. And I'm just like, this is so freaking cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, you know, this whole story arc in general, like you said, it kind of was like a callback to the Mortis episodes. I mean, they talk about um, Anakin and Obi-Wan and, like, their thoughts on uh, seeing Qui-Gon on Mortis. But also just the fact that, obviously, this arc and the Mortis arc are the two biggest arcs in terms of, like, delving into the mysteries of the Force and that sort of thing. But whereas the Mortis arc was more subjective and you know, you can kind of question, like, did this all really happen? And, like, where were they? And what exactly was going on? It's like, you see some cool stuff, and it's cool to think about, but you don't really know how it all fits in with the whole thing. And I know some people who take it really literally and don't like it, and, like, they're mad that it happened that way. And for me, I'm like, I kind of take it all with a grain of salt and just try to enjoy those episodes for what they are. But I don't even really know sort of what their role is in terms of fitting into the overall story. But with these Yoda episodes, like it's mysterious and he's having visions and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, you know, this is pretty much as far as I can tell, at least it seems like this is all happening. Oh yeah, Um, definitely. And you know, and like I said, it's, it's, you see it actually like changing Yoda's perspective on things. Um, and Dave Filoni did a great interview with it's actually part of a series of, of uh, interviews that he did on StarWars.com that were in blog posts like over the past few months. They did like this big three part interview with him reflecting back on the whole Clone Wars series after it was over. And after these episodes came out on Netflix, they released like an excerpt from the final part of the interview that they had cut out originally because it had some spoilers for these Yoda episodes in there that they didn't want to reveal yet. And he's basically just talking about how in these episodes, you see Yoda transform from prequel trilogy Yoda, who's concerned with running the Jedi order and winning the clone war to original trilogy Yoda, who is all about, um, you know, peace and Jedi use the force for knowledge and defense and never for attack and wars, not make one great and all this kind of stuff. And so, I didn't even really think about that the first time I watched these episodes, but then as I was reading it, I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. Like, we actually see Yoda sort of change here, and now it sort of makes more sense that... I mean, obviously, you can kind of just sort of figure it out in your head anyways that he's had 20 years on Dagobah to think about these things, and he's not the same character in uh, Empire Strikes Back that he is in Attack of the Sith and Revenge of... or Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, but to see sort of some of that transformation here and see him come to some of these realizations and learn more about the force, which is really cool. Yeah. We're pretty much seeing him like be retrained as a Jedi again, in a way, because like you said, it's becoming like a different character, how he is in empire than how he was in the prequels and in Clone Wars. And like pretty much that whole 
episode of uh, Destiny, we really got to see him <laughs> take on that training. And he was even maybe a little too self-confident at the start of it, kind of saying, I'm a Jedi Master. I, I've done all I can to like get rid of my dark side or to suppress it and to be more like to, I pretty much at the peak of what any Jedi could be almost in a way he was saying but as he realized he's had much to learn <laughs> like he likes to say yeah and, see they they were like you know you have to let go of your emotions and embrace your dark side and blah blah and he's like yep Misa can see that from here too <laughs> <laughs> and there was one great line that I love that gave me some chills where Yoda's first talking to those uh, force priests and they're saying like oh debating who should we train him like what gives him to the right to be get this training and then i love the line that one of them says that he's destined to cheat the one who will save the universe from a great imbalance unless he deserves a training it was like oh man they're referring to luke there yeah <laughs> like oh that was so cool it's like probably the only reference we got to luke in the whole clone Wars series i thought that was awesome yeah and- that was obviously cool to see of course then you know jumping ahead a little bit at the end of the last episode um you also hear like uh i think one of the priestesses says like right before they fade out and he goes back to the jedi temple they say there is another skywalker i'm like wait so has yoda known this all along (laughs) (laughs) that like anakin was not gonna succeed that's the thing too or i kind of took it where it could be a vision that he's having of his death because you then hear after the priestess says that, you hear Yoda actually say that there is another Skywalker, where it kind of fades into each other. So mm-hmm. I kind of almost took it like maybe he's having his own vision, like a vision of his own death at that. And they're not, they're only saying that because he said it later on. So there's probably tons of different ways you can interpret that, but it's still cool nonetheless to hear that and just setting things up that we know is going to be awesome in the original trilogy. Yeah. But and going then, of back course, to that, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, going back to that uh, episode, Destiny, I mean, See, again, it goes back to what were some of my favorite moments of this whole arc. I mean, it's cool. it was cool to see Yoda fight his dark side or dark Gollum in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. If they ever need a voice actor for Gollum, then Andy Serkis can't do it. I think Tom Kane did a pretty cool job <laughs> of sounding like him. Well, it's sounding like a cross between Yoda and Gollum, too. Yeah. But the one that really stood out to me in this episode was where... Yoda had that vision where he's seeing the Jedi Temple at peace and pretty much the way things should be at the Jedi Temple. If none of this stuff ever happened in Phantom Menace, we had Qui-Gon there, you had Dooku there as Jedi. I just thought that was really cool to see. Like, this is what the Jedi Temple should have been if things went right. You got Anakin there, you got Obi-Wan there with his master Qui-Gon, Ahsoka. You even got um, Adigaya there who's still alive. And then you even seen the two Jedi who were killed by Savage Press. In the, uh, in the when his first episode he attacked that planet, I'm blanking on the name now, but he killed those two Jedi there. But they were in that garden area too. Just pretty much every Jedi who was killed on the show is present in that vision he was having. It was like, man, this is really cool to see. Where like if things went right, this is how the Jedi Order would be. Everyone together in peace. There's no distrust among anyone. There's no war. Just how the Jedi life should be. And I just couldn't help but think if if we get Yoda had a vision of this of what the ideal life he would have had at the Jedi would be. There's a part of me thinking, man, it would have been cool to see Anakin have a vision like this of how his life would have been if he didn't go to the dark side. And then we see him have with Padme, with Luke and Leia there as kids. It would have been like almost another Star Wars Infinities type thing. But I just thought I couldn't help but think of that. That would have been another awesome vision to have. Oh, but, man. Sorry, but I just thought of when you said like a perfect 
life with you know Padme and Luke and Leia and everything. The first thing that made me think of this is the uh, the robot chicken sketch <laughs> where Vader's like you know join me and we will rule the galaxy as father and son. And then Luke's like, huh, father and son. And then you see them like fishing together and then facing Boba Fett and Jango Fett in a father son dance off contest. <laughs> that's right yeah well that didn't pop into my head when i was watching it (laughs) oh yeah no i didn't think of it when i was watching the episode just when you brought it up because i didn't even think about like anakin having a vision like that yeah just when i saw that i was like thinking about all these other visions certain characters could add and then that was like the first one that i thought of like anakin having his ideal life that he always dreamed of with his family and padme but of course we know it was a temptation and uh Yoda rejected it as we knew he would, but it was still cool nonetheless to see that and to see him stand there as Dooku was about to chop his head off with a lightsaber. But I just love that whole sequence of him in that vision of seeing all those characters that we know of together and just living in peace in the Jedi Temple. I just thought that was really cool and it stuck out to me as one of my favorite moments. Yeah, well, you know what? That was cool, but um, I kind of looked at it through from Yoda's perspective where I was like, yeah, this is really calm and peaceful and, like, something's off here. And especially because you know, like, Dooku's not a Jedi and a bunch of these people are dead. And because the priestesses tell Yoda, like, you're going to be tempted by stuff and you're going to want to just, like, stay here. And they tell Yoda, like, all these Jedi are kind of spread around talking and then they all gather together. And um, Dooku's like, are you coming with us, Master? And then, um, so the temptation is sort of for Yoda to just embrace like the perfection and the peace and everything and just want to kind of stay here when that's not how things are in the galaxy and he has to just sort of embrace the flaws for what they are and accept that Dooku is evil and that certain Jedi are dead and I think it kind of ties into what he tells Anakin in Revenge of the Sith where he says you know you must train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose because he had to let go of this stuff that he maybe didn't necessarily fear to lose but stuff that he had already lost and wanted to hold on to and he was like no I can't I just have to let it go um, but also I did love one moment in there, um, which was, I think, um, at least I took it as a reference to the original Knights of the Old Republic game where, uh, Dooku is standing around talking to, uh, Yo- yeah, it's Dooku talking to Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and Yoda comes up to them and Dooku's like, I was just telling them about the time that we fought the giant Torrent attack on Kashyyyk and, you know, th- which is a giant yeah, force-resistant right. monster that you fight on Kashyyyk in that game. I was like, oh, I love that little reference in there. <laughs> That's um, right. Of course, I also love the scene right before that where Yoda goes, he's like inside the Jedi Temple yeah. and it's all, I don't want to say destroyed, but, you know, it's dark and just sort of has like this orange burning glow to all of it and you see a bunch of dead jedi littering the hallway and did you hear the you, battle of heroes thing yep too? i was about to mention that as soon yeah. as yoda turns and sees all these dead jedi you just hear a brief hint of battle of the heroes from episode three and i was like oh that was cool yeah and of course the biggest moment for that sequence we get uh we get to see ahsoka return to the clone Wars. maybe not the way we thought but i thought it was a cool way to at least have her in these final episodes and this kind of really push Yoda off where he goes like, oh, I failed. Like, I wasn't strong enough. And it was just cool to have it be her and that she wasn't completely left out of all these Lost Missions episodes. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it makes perfect sense to see her in uh, in his visions because, you know, I'm sure that's still probably weighing pretty heavily on Yoda's mind. In fact, I loved... Um, Obi-Wan kind of makes a subtle reference to the whole Ahsoka incident, too, in The Lost One where they're on the Jedi Council and I forget exactly what somebody says, but they say something about, you know, oh, we thought Sifo was dead or, you know, his 
body had never been recovered or something. And Obi-Wan's like, yeah, well, it's not the first time this council's been wrong about something recently. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, burn. Zing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was a great moment too. And then, um, see, I had a point about the those Jedi priestess. Oh, yeah. Because it gets revealed at the end that it was actually someone who was dead and they were using the power that Yoda's training for to reserve consciousness after they die. And we didn't get the identity of who this character was, but I was kind of thinking, I wonder maybe if the father was going to show up from Mortis since he was the only one who disappeared after he died. I thought there was going to be a connection that way, but there wasn't, but it was just something that came to my head. I don't know if you thought of it, where maybe the father might show up in some way in these episodes. No, I didn't think of that at all because, I mean, like I said, the, the Mortis trilogy really, I think, is more subjective than what's going yeah. on here. Even though it, this episode did seem sort of subjective and surreal with Yoda having all these visions and there was these floating priestesses with these masks and everything. And, um, I mean, you could question, like, did it really happen or not? But like I said, it seems, at least to me, pretty obvious that all this was really going on. And, I mean, like she said, these are just spirits of... Uh, dead force users who have learned these secrets that Yoda is trying to learn, which made me wonder. I mean, obviously they never really say anything that hints at any of this, but I'm like, could these be maybe some other powerful Jedi that we've known from like previous EU stories? Um, you know, <laughs> something fun to think about, but obviously, like I said, nothing really concrete in there. That's another interesting thing, too, about this whole thing. Like Yoda and Qui-Gon were chosen because Qui-Gon specifically said you were chosen like I was. I just wasn't able to complete it because I, it seems like he was after the fact that he died. So that's another interesting thing, too, where what – I mean you can kind of piece together what made them be chosen by uh, these force priests to receive this training. Qui-Gon, you know, because he was probably – living was really focused on the living force instead of being distracted by all the things that palpatine was distracting the jedi with and yoda probably being such a jedi master and probably the highest uh, uh, force users there is and the most powerful one there is he was chosen that way but this is the fact that certain characters were chosen to receive this training i thought was pretty interesting yeah, well, you know, okay, three points I want to make on this episode before we can move on to the last one. But the first thing, uh, going back to what you said about Qui-Gon, you know, maybe not being um, or being chosen for this after death, I think he probably was chosen ahead of time because he does say, like Yoda asked him, um, you know, can I see you or can you appear? And he's like, no, because my training wasn't complete. So I think he was chosen for this before he died. And obviously, you know, we just didn't know that this was going on in episode one, or maybe he was just having visions or meditating on this kind of stuff and didn't actually have to travel to this planet like Yoda did. But um, I think that at least for me was an indication that like he had some knowledge of this before he died and just wasn't um, ready to share it with the rest of the Jedi Order yet, because like you said, he was um, more sort of in tune with the living force. And we got some more explanation about that in these episodes too. They sort of define like the living force and the cosmic force and how these, there's sort of these two different portions of it and how energy transfers between one and the other. Um, yeah, I love the explanation of it. I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah. And then the second thing I was going to point out is that um, when you talked about like, well, why were they chosen for this? And I think for Qui-Gon, it's not just that he was, um, 
you know, in tune with the living force and all that. But if the priestesses tell Yoda, like, or he has to be chosen because he'll train one who will, um, you know, correct a great imbalance or something. And we think they're talking about Luke. Well, maybe they picked Qui-Gon before him because they knew he was the one who was going to discover Anakin, who was supposed to be the chosen one. Mm, good um, point. And I think, you know, I still think that Anakin was the chosen one. I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, did, same I, here. did we talk about this on our last episode? I feel like we did. Um, uh, maybe not our last episode. Maybe it has to come up on older ones. But yeah, I'm with you. I still think Anakin's the chosen one. Yeah, I feel like I've talked about this in depth with somebody recently, and I can't remember if it was on here or not. But basically, I think by Anakin turning to the dark side and wiping out, helping the Empire wipe out the Republic that had been corrupt and the Jedi that had become sort of complacent in their power and, you know, just sort of arrogant, I guess you could say. Um, you know, it's like by just sort of erasing all of that and then with the rebellion and Luke and the new Jedi Order sort of taking over the Empire and just sort of sort of reestablishing this rule of peace and justice in the galaxy, but going back to sort of the ideals of the Republic and not all this corrupt politics and banking and all this kind of stuff that we've seen through all these Clone Wars episodes. I think it, it, part of that was like a necessary transition. Um, because Anakin, sure, he could have destroyed the Sith, but the Republic still wouldn't have quite been in balance because there was still a lot of bad stuff going on underneath the surface. So I think he just helped sort of wipe the slate clean. Um, so yeah, I definitely could see, you know, even though they don't really say it specifically in these episodes, it's like if they picked Qui-Gon or if they picked Yoda to receive this training and become immortal so that he could help teach Luke, I could see them doing the same thing to help to, for Qui-Gon to help train Anakin. Yeah, that's a great point. That makes perfect sense. I mean, I didn't think of that at the time. I just always attributed to, like, we always knew Qui-Gon was attuned to the living force like no other Jedi was at the time. But I love the fact that maybe it was because he was the one who was supposed to train Anakin, but then Darth Maul threw a wrench in that plan, <laughs> too. So. And going back to the whole thing is, like, there's still a debate. Is Anakin the chosen one or is it Luke? But like I said, I think it's Anakin. And if it was intended for it to be Luke, I think these force priests would have said that when they were telling Yoda. So you, they just say, you'll train the one who will save the universe from a great imbalance. They didn't say, you'll train the true chosen one or something like that to refer him as the true chosen one who would destroy the Sith. So I still think that, and Lucas has said it before too, that is always was intended to be Anakin. And this, this point just helps reaffirms that, I think. So which is the, I think makes perfect sense in the way I like it to be too, because Anakin in the end did kill Darth Sidious and, restore balance to the force so yeah, it all works say, well in the end <laughs> yeah if you're if you're going by the fact that this prophecy is supposedly supposed to say that like the chosen one is going to destroy the sith and bring balance to the force anakin is the one who destroys the sith yeah luke just had to bring it out you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know the last point i was going to make too it's kind of interesting how they sort of go out of their way in these episodes to explain why Qui-Gon can like talk to Yoda, but he can't appear as a vision or a force ghost or anything. When, when they originally shot episode three, the scene at the end where Yoda is just sort of meditating and then Bail Organa comes to him and says, you know, tells him that Obi-Wan is arrived. He's supposed to be talking to Qui-Gon's force ghost there. They were actually going to film that scene and have Liam Neeson appear there as a force ghost. And I guess the day that they were supposed to shoot it, he got in a motorcycle accident and you know, obviously he survived and he wasn't like terribly injured or anything, but I guess it was enough that he couldn't film that day or that week or something. And then George Lucas just decided, 
like they were on a schedule and it wasn't super important enough that they had to have that scene in there. So they ended up not filming it, which is kind of a bummer because I would have loved to see that in episode three. But it's like they sort of go out of their way to explain why he can't appear as a forest ghost when originally he was supposed to. So these episodes could have been completely different if episode three had gone sort of the way they planned it to. Really? Because I always thought it was just intended for him to do a voiceover and that he was here as Yoda would hear his voice. I never knew it was actually supposed to appear as a force ghost. I have to go back to those making of books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember reading. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure on that. But I have to say, as cool as it would have been to see that scene in Revenge of the Sith, I'm so glad we got the story better <laughs> in the end because it just adds so much more to it. And they were able to do a lot more to explain how Qui-Gon was able to train to use his power and then in turn Yoda get trained to do it. So... I think it all worked out in the end where that scene ended up being cut and then we got this amazing story arc instead. Yeah, well, I think we still could have had these episodes pretty much the way they are. We just would have seen Qui-Gon walking alongside Yoda as a force ghost instead of just hearing his voice. But, I mean, I think it would have been cool either way. I just found it kind of interesting that, you know, something that's such an integral part of these episodes wasn't even intended to be that way originally. Well, maybe now that we've seen these episodes, yeah, it'd be cool to see in episode three, but in to experience it and get revealed to us the first time. I think this is a better way to do it than having that one extra scene in Revenge of the Sith. Seeing all that Yoda had to go through and him talking to Qui-Gon for the first time is a better way to experience it as fans, at least for me anyway, for the first time instead of seeing it in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I guess now that we have these episodes, that's true. But, you know, sitting in the movie theater in 2005, we had no idea we'd be watching yeah. it almost 10 years later. So it would have been kind of nice to see that in episode three the first time. But, I mean, either way, like you said, I'm happy with the way things have turned out now. Yeah, but then we go to the last episode, Sacrifice. And, man, <laughs> again, this I really can't pick which one's my favorite out of these episodes that's why i just like viewing it as one big story arc and almost really like you're watching a movie because that's what it was like and this is the final act of the movie but man going to moribund even though it's not corban anymore like i didn't even care about that when i was watching this episode <laughs> it was like the last thing on my mind seeing the awesome stuff that uh, yoda had to go through for his final test and just visually they got the look of moribund to look like how we always knew the sith home planet would be from Korriban and the EU and the Knights of the Old Republic game. So I was really happy with how it looked. And then seeing <laughs> what Yoda had to experience with uh, dealing with more visions of ancient Sith. And boy, here we go. The moment I was hoping would be in it was in it. Mark Hamill as Darth Bane. I mean, <laughs> how awesome was that? And how much cooler can it get than that? That and was pretty awesome. Mark Hamill played the Sith Lord who created the Rule of Two. And as being someone who was a big fan of the Darth Bane trilogy novels and actually hearing him explain the rule of two to Yoda from Mark Hamill and the way he looked, it was just awesome. I mean, <laughs> and that was another moment where I had a big grin on my face. It was just amazing. I just loved that whole sequence. It was short, but boy, <laughs> it was still awesome. I just wish maybe it could have been a little longer, but man, <laughs> I was pretty much like, I couldn't really express how I was feeling when I was watching with my brothers because I never, they never really, read the Darth Bane novels and didn't really know the characters, but it was like for me, it was like, man, this is so cool. Do you guys realize how awesome this is of Yoda talking with Darth Bane and it's Mark Hamill? It was just yeah. amazing. So for you being like a big fan of the Darth Bane books and everything, you liked the, uh, the new visual design of the character? Yeah, that didn't really bother me at all. I mean, who knows well, how many different looks Darth Bane could have had during the time period where he was alive because those books jumped like 
big gaps throughout his life. So it's possible he could have had some armor that looked like that. But regardless, I think that armor looked really cool. A lot cooler than what his uh, EU design was with that thing over his head and those like uh, creatures that were leeching onto his body. I think they were called obelisks or something like that. I can't remember the exact name, but I was happy with how he looked. He looked really cool in this vision. Okay, I'm glad somebody agrees with you then, because I've heard a lot of people, or at least some people, kind of griping about the fact that like, they designed <laughs> well, they designed character models for Darth Bane and Darth Revan that were originally going to appear in the Mortis trilogy, yeah. and in those, in like the concept art and stuff that we've seen for those, Darth Bane looks pretty much exactly how he looks in the comics and stuff like that, well, the existing EU material. And some people were like, oh, they already had that. Why couldn't they just use that for this model? I'll tell you why. Because he looks like he has a freaking coral reef stuck on his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this design was so much cooler, I thought. Now, I'm not a huge fan of, I mean, I haven't read the Darth Bane novels and stuff. Obviously, I've heard of the character and I know the rule of two and all that kind of stuff. So just as a hardcore Star Wars fan, for me, it was still cool to get that reference in there and be like, oh, man, it's Darth Bane. That's pretty awesome. But, um, you know, I don't have that much of a connection to the character to where I would, like, really care if they changed his look or something. But I thought that it was a really cool-looking character. It's funny how we saw a brief glimpse of this in the trailer and everybody thought it was, like, a Balrog-looking yeah. character. It's like, <laughs> nope, that was Darth Bane, and he was just on fire a little bit. Yeah, it was so awesome. I mean, I talked about it before how Mark Hamill revealed how he was, he did a voice for Slith Lord, and we were wondering well, who's it going to be. I kind of had a feeling it would be Darth Bane, and then I thought, oh, maybe it's Darth Plagueis. That'd be pretty cool, or some Ooh, new Slith Lord. Cool. But I was always hoping that it was Darth Bane because that would have been awesome, and boy, it delivered. <laughs> yeah. But was... I didn't get spoiled on it uh, beforehand. I, I, would, I had a feeling Mark Hamill was going to be in this arc, but I didn't know who it was going to be. And then when it was Darth Bane, I was like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely a, a great character moment. Like you said, I wish it had been a little bit longer. Um, but Dave Filoni has said like throughout the years that he's been wanting to get Mark Hamill on the show to do a voice. But because it's Luke freaking Skywalker, like, the main <laughs> character of the Star Wars trilogy, he's like, if I was going to bring him back to do Clone Wars, it would have to be a, a really good character that would, um, you know, really sort of uh i guess uh validate bringing in mark hamill to do that part you know it would have to be like a really significant part so to have him voice like one of the most well-known sith lords of all time in the final story arc of the clone wars i'm like yeah it was kind of a small part but certainly a, a noteworthy one yeah and i kind of hope too that they film some behind the scenes stuff you know how they always do those like commentary videos after yeah. a new episode would air i hope they filmed one planning for that and they'll release it like sometime on starwars.com or if they ever do a blu-ray release we get to see those because i would love to hear mark hamill talk about voicing darth bane that'd be awesome yeah well you know what i was kind of disappointed because i also was as me being a big doctor who fan i was also hoping that somewhere they had some behind the scenes footage of david tennant voicing the droid hu yang in uh the younglings arc from season five we still haven't gotten any of that yet so i don't know maybe at some point we'll get to see some behind-the-scenes stuff of Mark Hamill doing Darth Bane. But, uh, yeah, that certainly would be awesome to get to see, to take a, a peek behind the microphone at that. Yeah, just to hear him talk about a new Star Wars role other than Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I mean, this is his first time he's played a different character. Mm -hmm. Well, oh, you know what, though? I'm sure we'll get to hear him talk about that at uh, Celebration Anaheim. That's true, yeah. Yeah, for Hopefully... me, it's not like, I don't necessarily want to see a, an interview with him talking about it. I just want to see like some actual, you know, behind the scenes footage, see him like talking into a microphone, doing the voice. Cause that'd yeah. be cool. Uh, yeah. Just hopefully that 
comes out sometime. <laughs> yeah. And then, like you said, too, with uh, them changing the name of Korriban to Moriband, I was like, eh, yeah, okay, but it looks exactly like Korriban. Like, this is still pretty cool. And, you know, they've got the mountains and the Sith tombs and all this kind of stuff. And then um, if you read the episode guide for this episode on StarWars.com, it says, like, that they originally were planning to just keep the name Corban and then George Lucas wanted to change it. But then sort of their rationalization behind it all was, it's like, this is a really ancient planet that's gone through a lot of wars and all this sort of conflict over the years. Like it could have been known by different names at different points in time. And so I'm like, yeah, okay. If they're calling it Morban now, at least if they're, you know, acknowledging that it's the same planet and that it could have been called Corban at some point in time, I can be okay with that. Yeah, I bought that explanation. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm cool with it now. <laughs> but at the same time, like even if they didn't explain that, I really wouldn't care as much as I did beforehand as being a little disappointed by how it looked and how awesome it was to see it. So yeah, it's cool to have that explanation that kinda hopefully EU fans will accept and not hold it against the story arc at all. Yeah, and then of course the final sort of Yoda's final test and final vision, um, which I thought was pretty cool is you know, Darth Sidious and Count Dooku get together and do this sort of ritual to, you know, it's like they sense that Yoda's on Moraband, and so they do this sort of ritual to communicate with him, and Sidious basically appears to Yoda in the form of Sifo-Dyas and tries to get him to join him, and then Yoda resists, and then they go to this whole vision where it's like Yoda and Anakin and the clones on Coruscant going to fight the Sith, and, um... <laughs> see this is where in the trailer we had seen that clip of Yoda fighting Sidious and we were like wait what's going on here like it didn't look like Korriban so were they like back on Coruscant what's going on there but um, see I thought this was kind of a cool callback to um, it made me think of the novel Labyrinth of Evil yeah it sounds uh, which, like the same thing which takes place right before episode 3 and it's like right before Grievous and the droid army invade Coruscant the Jedi are sort of like hot on Sidious's trail. They're really close to figuring out who the Sith Lord is. Like yeah. somehow, I don't even remember exactly how, but they somehow have been tracking him. And it's like, they saw this mysterious hooded figure go somewhere. And then they found like footprints going through these secret maintenance tunnels under the, underneath the Senate building. So they figure it's somebody within the Senate and, you know, they're tracking him down and then they never get to the bottom of this. And so, when even though it's just a vision when we see like yoda and anakin and rex and a bunch of clones in a gunship going to find palpatine on coruscant i'm like this is pretty cool i always wanted to see like how it would be if they had just a manhunt for this guy and they figured yeah. out he was on coruscant and let's go finally figure out who this guy is yeah it was awesome to see like you said it was a cool another what if type thing if things worked out right like they were able to track him down they were able to confront him this way and it was I also thought it was cool since this is the last episode of the Clone Wars just to get the clones in there somehow to give them one last uh, hurrah, I guess, even though they all get fried by Dooku. <laughs> I'm just glad that we got to see him one last time. And then it was cool just getting, because it was kind of a mix of a vision of what could, it was like just a vision, like a what if scenario, but then also it was a vision of what's going to happen in the future because we see the throwback, or I shouldn't say throwback since it didn't happen yet, but um, Anakin killing Dooku the way he kills him in Revenge of the Sith. I thought that was really cool to see that play out. So yeah. it's kind of like a slash vision that's going to happen and just a scenario that Palpatine's playing out to try to take out Yoda. So I just love that it drew attention to what's going to happen in episode three. And then 
the duel that Yoda has with Sidious <laughs> was pretty cool too. And I just have to say, from a sound standpoint, Sidious's lightsaber has its own distinct sound that I love. It's a lot more bassy than <laughs> deep sounding than the other lightsabers are. I just love how it's, it just sounds evil in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking the same thing when I, I just watched this episode again like a couple nights ago. And the way I thought of it is the sound of his lightsaber, it sounds like his voice. Yeah. Like if a yeah. lightsaber had a deep, evil, guttural voice like Sidious, that would be it. Yeah, that's a great analogy to compare it to. And speaking of his voice, I mean, this is the first time we're hearing Tim Curry as Darth Sidious. And I think he did a pretty good job as Darth Sidious, and more so than he is as Palpatine. He pretty much sounded probably not quite as good as Ian Abercrombie did, but close enough to what we expect Sidious to sound like. I thought he did a good job playing him there. It yeah, was... and you know, uh, I think we've talked about this before. How Dave Filoni, when uh, when Tim Curry first got cast as Palpatine, and Dave Filoni said, "You know, wait till you hear this guy as Darth Sidious. Like he has a great evil Sidious voice." And we were wondering, like, are we going to get to hear that at all in these episodes? Well, it turns out we heard a whole lot of it because yeah. he was here in the Yoda arc, and also we did hear it in the Order sixty six arc as well. Um, yep. something that we didn't mention with that arc, but you know, you've got Dooku talking back to Sidious the whole time and sort of reporting on all these events. And, uh, you know, the, the very last line of that episode, he's like, no one will be able to stop us when we execute order 66. Yeah, and of course that was like chills up the spine. Yep. <laughs> Another cool moment too that we didn't talk about in the, the last one where he force chokes Dooku from the holograms. I like, yeah. This is another mess you have to clean up now. Like, this better be the last one. <laughs> that yeah, was really cool. that was pretty great. Dooku's like, I won't fail. He's like, are you sure? Because you have a track record of being yeah. clumsy and chokes him. Yeah, but this whole little final duel between Yoda and Sidious and even Anakin, I just thought it was cool seeing Anakin in there taking on Sidious. Like, uh, this is how it's supposed to be, or it should have been if things worked out the right way and he didn't turn to the dark side. And then Yoda is sacrificing pretty much himself to save Anakin instead of taking out Sidious because this is a point where he pretty much realizes where he's the Jedi and him himself. They're probably not going to win the war, but it doesn't mean they're going to lose the whole fight for good in a way. And he kind of comes to that realization, which he tells Obi-Wan and Mace Windu at the end. He tells them this, that the Clone Wars, we might not win, but that doesn't mean like we'll lose the battle for good. And he of course knows that there's probably going to be, a new way to defeat this with Luke. <laughs> you might know it at the time specifically that it's Luke, but he knows that the Clone War isn't the end all to everything in the galaxy. And that kind of helped me. I never really had a problem with it, but I know people do with how he just gave up in his fight with Sidious and Revenge of the Sith. But it just kind of helps the point where he knows that this isn't the end. There is a new hope that is, the Jedi aren't going to be extinct forever. This is just a loss. It's a big loss, definitely, but it's not pretty much the end of the galaxy as he knows it. And he kind of comes to terms with that the first time through this vision and through this arc. And I just love that. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, too, in that vision where you see Yoda and Anakin fighting Sidious, I don't know if you thought of this, but just, I mean, we've already seen the foreshadowing of, like, Anakin killing Dooku in this vision. I was thinking, how cool would it be if right here in the final episode of Clone Wars, Yoda sees in this vision, Anakin joins Sidious and just sort of like morph into Darth Vader and he has to fight both of them. 
Oh man. Um, <laughs> I was like that was what I was imagining the first time I watched it. I was like, oh man, a city is gonna like turn you know, turn him to the dark side right here. And I was like, that would be so awesome. But um, that would have looked amazing to see that, but then it would have brought up a bunch of other problems as why would Yoda not stop Anakin's training or suspect him more later on in episode. Right, right. right. But, but yeah, man, uh, that would have looked amazing. <laughs> I think I would have fainted if that happened. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been really cool. But instead, you know, like you said, Sidious knocks out Anakin and then he starts cutting the supports of this bridge. Oh, by the way, how cool was it to see not only the two of them dueling, but basically like Sidious knocks out Anakin with force lightning and then he shoots the force lightning at Yoda and he blocks it. It's basically like the exact same thing as what happens in Revenge of the Sith, including that he then like knocks Sidious over the balcony, but then he comes back up from yeah. beneath and cuts out the supports and Anakin's falling and Yoda has to decide whether to save Anakin or keep fighting Palpatine. And he's like, you know, let him die and you can stop all that I will do and find out my identity and all this kind of stuff. And like you said, I think at that point, Yoda realizes that there are more important things than winning the war because like he says at the end, the Jedi have already kind of lost the war anyways, because they're supposed to be these peacekeepers and they've been giving in to you know, partaking in all this violence and bloodshed and everything. So winning the war isn't even all that important to them anymore when you suddenly he has this new perspective where it's like, even if I lose the war, I could find a way to live on forever just by finding peace and balance in the force. And so that's sort of more important. And so even though I would have loved to see Anakin turn into Darth Vader, it's like in that moment, he was sort of more more representative of not just... Anakin, but he he sort of was like representative of the whole Jedi Order at that point, and so Yoda was like, I could let the Jedi die and go after Palpatine, which was like supposed to be our ultimate goal, or I could let the Sith get away with what they're doing in order for the Jedi to survive and continue on, and that's what he ultimately ends up doing. And then that's what he tells Obi-Wan and Mace Windu at the end, Um, you know, like I said, when he's like, you know, or I think Obi-Wan or Mace asked him, like, did you learn anything that could help us win the Clone War? And he's like, I'm yeah. not even sure that winning the war, you know, the goal is anymore. Um, but then he says that, uh, you know, but through other ways and through the Force, there might be a way to achieve victory, not just in the Clone Wars, but for all times. And then they just walk off and the shot just sort of pans up to a tree looking all peaceful out in front of the Jedi Temple and... Uh, you know, the music kind of swells and it cuts out. And I think this is an even better season finale than um, the end of the Ahsoka arc in season yep. five. You know, I talked, I told you about this after pretty much right after we watched the episodes and we were talking about them. And I said, for me, the, it almost feels like if the entire series of Clone Wars was a book that the end of season five and you know, sort of the end of the Soka storyline would be like the last chapter of the book, but then the Yoda arc would be the epilogue. And, you know, like the very last page of the book that you read is Yoda just saying like, yeah, the war goes on and I don't even know if we need to win the war anymore because, you know, there are more important things. And we know just sort of the ramifications of what that means coming up for the rest of the saga and especially how that plays into, you know, Yoda's views and his actions in the original trilogy. Um, and I think it, it just works so well because obviously at this point, we're never going to get a series finale that leads right into Revenge of the Sith like a lot of us were hoping. 
And so we don't even know how far before Revenge of the Sith this episode takes place, but they sort of acknowledge the fact that, yeah, there's still more of the war to come. We're not going to get to see all of it, but we've sort of gotten to a place where all the fighting and the conflict isn't even the main point anymore. So then you can just sort of jump to episode three where it all wraps up. And they didn't, obviously they didn't intend for this to be the series finale, but when Dave Filoni has said in interviews and stuff, like after Clone Wars got canceled, that he really views the Yoda arc as the series finale now, now I'm like, well, I can see why, because this is a perfect final chapter in my mind. 100% agree, yeah. You said it all perfectly the same way, how I view it to be a great series finale. This All the main points you said where they come to the realization, or Yoda has, where they're probably not going to win the war, and but there is hope for the galaxy after that. And that kind of leads into, or leads right into episode three, because Yoda's come to that acceptance. And this is how the episode ended, like you said. It used the same music from the way the Ahsoka arc ended. And it's so perfect, like, why wouldn't you use it again? <laughs> yeah, I just love how it faded out into that. And then just, like I said before, or... I did. I know I told you about it before, but the day after we watched uh, *Revenge of the Sith* after the song, like it was almost like I had to. <laughs> it was like this is so natural, and just seeing everything play out the way it did, and then just thinking about this arc, <laughs> what Yoda had to go to, especially when he tells Obi Wan, "Like, wait a moment, training I had for you," and you're just thinking, can't help but think, oh, everything Yoda had to go through in this arc to come to this point, and then to let Obi-Wan know <laughs> that he's going to put him through some training that he just learned, but now we know what he had to go through to get this knowledge and information. So it just adds so much more when you're watching Revenge of the Sith. And just, uh, <laughs> so awesome. I mean, I said this before too, where this is not only one of the greatest Clone Wars arcs or stories, but in my mind, it's one of the greatest Star Wars stories that I've seen. It just It was just amazing. Everything I was hoping it would be and there's been talk of uh, a Yoda standalone movie. And while I, for one, would like to see one in his early years, I think this pretty much served the purpose as a standalone Yoda movie. It was yeah. that good. The only thing missing was seeing it on a gigantic uh, movie theater screen. But Oh, man, how cool would that have been? I know. Now, one tiny point that I disagree with you on when you said that um, you like the music at the end when they fade out and then use the same music from the Ahsoka arc, like uh -huh. right after she, after she leaves the the Jedi Order. I wish that they had used different music there just because, um, I don't know, like that music is just so melancholy for me and it perfectly fits the whole theme of the Ahsoka episodes and like her leaving the Jedi Order and everything. And like, that is sad, but I think, I, I wish there was like some music at the end of this Yoda arc that was more sort of slightly, you know, hopeful and uplifting. Maybe not like the same regular fanfare that they use at the end of every episode, but I would have loved to hear either like a variation of the Yoda theme or the Force theme or something, because obviously these episodes were a lot more, um, I don't want to say positive necessarily, because, you know, obviously it wasn't all like sunshine and rainbows and yay, we're going to go win the Clone Wars and stuff, but... It was. I think it ended on a more positive note than you know Ahsoka just walking away from the Jedi Temple into the sunset, and you're like, oh man, there she goes. Like they turn their backs on her, and she's walking away from them. Whereas with Yoda, it's sort of more this acceptance of you know, like we were saying that yeah, maybe we're not going to win the Clone Wars, but there are other ways to achieve victory, and we're gonna you know just keep being Jedi and do what we do, and the Force is more powerful than any you know, war. And so I just wish that, you know, they hadn't just gone to like that sad music afterwards. Cause I was like, it's 
more hopeful than that, I think. Yeah, I can see your point in that, and it does make sense. But at the same time, it's like, I just love that piece of music so much. And when I heard it again, oh, that's cool that they're using it again. Because it is a way, in my mind anyway, of kind of a good finale type music. I get what you're saying where it is more of a downer <laughs> and it fit with Ahsoka leaving. But at the same time, too, knowing how Revenge of the Sith's going to be, I thought it kind of fit that way, too, where it is kind of a downer moment because <laughs> they know that Yoda probably realizes they're not going to win the war, and then we do see what happens in Revenge of the Sith. So I'm okay with it, but I could definitely see your point, too. It maybe it would have been cool to have it be more reminiscent of Yoda's theme or the Force theme. Yeah, although I, I actually probably think, more than anything, it's not even that I didn't think the music fit with this episode, but that I think it goes so perfectly with the end of that Ahsoka episode, and that's just like such an emotional episode and such an emotional moment that I'm like, I don't want to hear that music anywhere else because it should just be here because <laughs> like, that's all it needs to be. I can see that, yeah. But, but at the same um, time, I was still happy it was there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, though, that wasn't enough to you know, ruin my enjoyment of the episode or anything by a long <laughs> shot. I mean, you know, like when that music started playing, I was still just kind of like, whoa, what just happened? That was awesome. Yeah, maybe they should have put uh, Yub Nub in there instead. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, but I mean, overall, awesome story arc. An awesome four story arcs for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, it sounds like maybe uh, an old friend, which is the first episode of the Clovis arc, and then maybe the lost one were like the only episodes that we weren't totally thrilled about. But um, even those were still pretty good. And I mean, just four really solid story arcs and some amazing episodes in here. And I am so glad that we actually got to see these um, because I've said I've probably mentioned before how I was maybe a little bit skeptical or not even skeptical, but just like had a little nagging doubt in the back of my mind to where, you know, every time they said like, oh, yeah, we'll get these episodes out eventually. We're just not sure how yet. I'm like they could sit in a vault at Disney for like 10 years. We could never see these episodes. I think we're going to, I think they're going to get them out, but you know, it's like until I actually am watching them, it's always a possibility that something might just not work out and somebody might decide like, we're just going to move on from these and go on to more stuff. So I'm really glad that, um, you know, Dave Filoni and his team and everybody put in the commitment to make sure we get to see these final episodes. And it, I mean, like we said, it definitely, I think added to the show and, you know, expanded sort of the, the scope of the star Wars universe and really made an impact on some things, the, you know, the way we view some things from the movies and also just helped to close the series out on an even better note than it had already. Yeah, definitely, man. After seeing these episodes, imagine what a crime it would have been to not to get to see these. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even want to think about that. I probably, my only complaint about the whole lost missions and Netflix thing was that, uh, Netflix didn't cooperate all the time where it would have to buffer. It wasn't always HD when it would start. It'd take like maybe two or three minutes for it to hit HD. And then sometimes it would pause and it'd have to reload and buffer. So it wasn't the best viewing experience. So it happened almost on every episode. Like, ah, come on. Sometimes it would take long and have to stop and reboot Netflix and all that. So <laughs> well, blame that on your internet connection. Because I didn't have any of those problems. But, <laughs> well, uh, okay, maybe it was my internet connection. But I just when I was watching, that, that was happening. I was going, I just wish it was on Blu-ray. <laughs> I wouldn't have to yeah. worry about it. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I did notice, like, at the beginning of every episode, it would take maybe, like, one or two minutes before it would switch to HD, but it pretty much, that happens on, like, everything you watch on Netflix, because it'll start, it'll buffer the show and start playing the show, and then while it's doing that, it'll buffer HD, and then it'll switch to HD once it's gotten far enough ahead or loaded enough data or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I never had, I don't think I had any problems with it. Um, you know, buffering or pausing or anything like that, like in the middle of an episode. I think every once in a while it would, you know, maybe like once an episode, if that, it would just get like, the frame rate would get like a little choppy just for a couple seconds in the middle somewhere. Um, But, you know, it would be like a tiny little hiccup, but it wouldn't be like it had to stop and load some more. So I didn't have a problem viewing it on Netflix, but, um, you know, I'm sure you're probably not the only one that's maybe had issues with slow internet connections or something. So, of course, it would be nice to have it on Blu-ray, but at the same time, it's nice that we have not only The Lost Missions, but the whole series on Blu-ray. And I know, like, just from reading comments on articles on different websites and stuff, it seems like there are a lot of people who never got around to watching the show on TV and didn't want to buy the Blu-ray box sets, but you know, they subscribed to Netflix anyways to watch a bunch of other shows. And now that Clone Wars is on there, it seems like it's reaching even more of an audience who never got to experience it the first time. Yeah. Which is great. I've heard the same thing from people, even uh, some people at uh, the comic shop I go to is saying, Oh, like I've seen Clone Wars, but I've been hit and miss with it. But now that we're all on Netflix, I'm going back to the very beginning, watching all the episodes, ones that I missed before I watched the new one. So, yeah, if you can find a whole new audience and uh, bring back some of those who maybe uh, fell out of it for one reason or another, that'd be great. And who knows, maybe there'd just be such a big demand for it that they'll have to make new episodes again somewhere down the line. But oh, maybe. <laughs> that'd but, be the uh, ultimate uh, dream come true if that did happen. <laughs> never yeah. say never. Yeah, of course, now that the series is done, I'm... <laughs> now the next challenge is to go back and watch it all in chronological order now that we have the official chronological order yeah Um, and i'll probably do that like over the summer or something and it's definitely made easier on netflix now you don't have to pop one disc in then like pop in the disc from season one then season three oh yeah for sure season on netflix so yeah it's definitely much easier to watch them that way now with netflix yeah yeah definitely and you know what we had a couple more articles we were going to talk about uh, we were going to talk about sort of like the the chronological order of the whole series that's been announced now, as well as a couple of interviews that Dave Filoni did, um, like the day these episodes were announced and like the couple days following. But we've been going for almost three hours on this podcast now, so I think maybe we'll save those for next time and, uh, you know, we'll just sort of do a follow-up to this Clone Wars discussion and do sort of Clone Wars The Aftermath um, and we'll yeah. talk about that on our next episode in addition to hopefully, you know, maybe some episode seven casting news if we get that in March, as Tim predicted. Um, got two I weeks hope left. so, Tim, for your sake. Our listeners are not as forgiving as I am. <laughs> Big but, gasp. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, you know, next time I'm sure we'll have more news and rumors to talk about. And then we'll sort of wrap up our thoughts on this Clone Wars stuff. But we got through all the episodes. We're almost at three hours. This is by far our longest episode yet. I am starving, so I want to get out of here and get some food. But uh, thank you guys for tuning in. 
We hope you've enjoyed listening to all our ramblings on clones and Yoda and Jar Jar innuendos and all this other fun stuff. <laughs> um, it's been fun to talk about. It's been fun to watch these episodes. So uh, thanks for tuning in. If you have questions or comments for us, we have our uh, own, you know, one central email for this podcast now at starwarstsc at gmail.com. So you can send us an email there. You can check us out on Facebook at Star Wars or Facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. And you can uh, check out our website, uh, StarWarsTSC.com, for all of the latest news and updates and rumors and things regarding Star Wars Episode 7 and Rebels and Clone Wars and all that good stuff. Also, if you want even more in-depth Clone Wars discussion, uh, you can check out our friends Mike and Matt uh, over at Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. I know some of you have probably listened to the, their show before anyways, because that's kind of how Tim and I got our own starts in podcasting, was working with those guys. But uh, you know they've started back up again, and they're going to be doing about one episode a week uh, devoted to you – know, they're just doing one podcast like for each episode of these bonus content episodes – so we did, uh, you know, we kind of just broke it down by story arc and just covered all the episodes in this one three-hour podcast. But if you want one episode per, you know, one podcast per Clone Wars episode with some in-depth discussion, you can go listen to those guys um, at Frontlines the Clone Wars podcast. So once again, thank you guys for listening. Um, we've had a blast talking Clone Wars. It's been great to have these new episodes out, and oh, yeah. uh, it's been great talking about them. Although, you know, it's been kind of such a staple on our podcast for the past few months, looking forward to the Clone Wars bonus content. So I don't know what we're going to talk about now, just, you know, more Episode 7 stuff, I guess. And hopefully some Battlefront at E3 and more build-up to Rebels and all that. So, of course, the saga continues, and there's way more Star Wars to talk about. So we will be back soon with another episode for you guys, as soon as we have some discussion-worthy news and rumors to talk about, which I'm sure will not be too long now, because it's always in the media and there's always stuff going on. So thanks for tuning in. We will see you guys next time, and may the Force be with you. See you later, everyone, in the living force. Or is it the cosmic force? Either one. <laughs> <laughs>